Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes! Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. Hello, Aaron. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure what the deal is with this technology, but every time I try to communicate with people, it becomes harder and harder. Well, it, it's, a, it's a Facebook issue. It's this, their attempt to integrate Facebook and Skype, and it screws it up. It ends up with two entries. I've got two Ooh. entries for you, one from Skype and, and one from Facebook, and the Facebook one doesn't work for audio. It's supposed to, but it doesn't for me anyway. Hmm. Well, I closed down Facebook before I even start Skype to avoid these kind of confusions. That's interesting. Um, well, I'm still seeing... I uh, know now the other one is gone. Okay, yeah, I just see... Because I renamed them, so I've got Tom Barbelay Facebook and Tom Barbelay Skype. and uh, So, I, yeah, Skype is the only one I can talk to. <laughs> yeah, that other Tom Barbelay is useless. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's okay for typing. I guess so. I guess so. So, um, as as is my habit, do you have any questions, any topics, anything you'd like to raise this evening? Oh, no, I was trying to think of some smart-ass answer, but uh, no, I don't. Very good. Very good. So, I have uh, a few... It simplifies things, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I, <laughs> I heard... Perhaps through some comment that you passed to me, or perhaps through your Facebook feed, that you had found a replacement for the puppies. Oh, well, no, it's not a replacement for the puppies by a long shot. But, uh, yeah, I'm losing interest in in that stuff for now. There's really nothing else up there. Uh, The blind cats are really like watching meatloaf bake. Uh So... uh, Alarms going off. Um, <laughs> so I, I I I drop by there once in a while, and I've and I'm I've been following these eagles from uh, Whitehorse, mm-hmm. and uh, it's amazing. I mean, I started following them I think about two days after they were hatched, and they now look like eagles. You know, mm. I mean, they don't have the white heads yet, but but and they still have some down here and there stuck between the feathers. So, I mean, you can tell they're young, but but they're almost fully grown physically, yes. and, and they're they're exercising their wings and and uh, but you know they're just so boring basically. Puppies, well, even cats. Shit, even cats are better than birds. <laughs> Or at least eagles. I couldn't say. I'd like to see some somebody do it to crows, but I don't think we're smart enough to sneak up on crows and film them. Well, by necessity, what you would need is a small, shiny webcam that the crow could take with it and wouldn't eat. It would need to be slightly larger than something it would eat, but sufficiently shiny and interesting that it would take it with it. Yeah, that would be an interesting idea. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, they, they do make nests. So, so, you know, so the question is, but, you know, what's funny is I've never seen a crow's nest, and I've oh. looked. 
I've seen crow's nests before. But the I thing assume about they're it is high they're, up in very yeah. dense trees, right? Yeah, they're opportunistic nesters, which is why you'd need to have a camera that would be something that would interest the crow and get the crow to take the camera up into their nest. Because my recollection is that aside from general nesting items, they will have things like buttons and various other shiny articles that they kind of yeah. collect in their nest. You know, yeah. like nest bling, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that would be the yeah, trick. home sweet home. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, that's that's an interesting phenomena. I I think I found the eagles too at some stage. Maybe through your mentioning the eagles, I was probably editing the audio for the podcast and yeah. uh, and searched them out. The one uh, at Whitehorse in Yukon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was really disappointed when I figured out that the nest was right on a major highway. <laughs> you know, I thought it was, you know, off in the wilderness somewhere in the Yukon. <laughs> you uh, know, and there's a pa- I mean, you can see people walking by. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> that sort of deflated the whole experience. I mean, but it's also interesting the eagles don't seem to pay the slightest bit of attention to any of that. Yes, I guess there's something about humans being predators or humans not being predators. And I think if you're outside the domain of humans for most of your, you know, I mean, they're probably eccentricities to to eagles rather than, you know, active predators. Well, that's the interesting, you know, is to see how different different birds are. I mean, like I say, I think they don't play. You know, they, they, they don't engage in any kind of behavior that could be, that I've seen anyway, that mm. is even remotely close to what puppies and kittens do when they're playing. They are uh, mostly they sit around for a long time. That's all they did is sleep, sit around, and eat, and sleep a lot. And you know, but now they sit around a lot, and and now they're now they're getting better because they're exercising their wings and and literally flying from one side of the nest to the next. So. Mm. So uh, it won't be long before, well, there's some some wooden bars about three or four feet above the nest, mm. and uh, that would seem like an obvious goal for one of the more adventuresome ones is to make it up to that perch. <laughs> yes. So we'll see. Very interesting. It's like a little eaglet gym, basically, above the, above the nest. Yeah, it was, I was so disappointed when I saw the pictures. I, saw, I mean, I had this idea that, that this camera was strapped to a tree, <laughs> you know, with a, with a, a, a solar panel, you know, somewhere yes. close by, some really high-tech stuff, but basically off in the wilderness, and here's this, this nest and these eagles, you know, mm. and, uh, and then you see it's on the top of a telephone pole next to a freeway. <laughs> but you know, I mean, that's probably part of the popularity. You don't want to have full-on nature scaring people. You want to have some familiar aspect, I guess, as they're watching the eagles. Well, I, I don't know. It'd be interesting to hear the story of how that got to be there. Um, yes. Know, yeah, I, I have. Uh, you know, what can you say? But it's still, it's still been fascinating to watch, watch how quickly they grow and, and take the form of. I mean, really, over a matter of a couple of weeks, they mm. went from this, these fuzzy little chicks to great big fucking birds of prey yes (laughs) i may have told you about this but there's a video comparison there's a creature called the palace cat spelled p-a-l-a-i-s and um it inhabits the the russian steppes uh region and they basically they look like house cats Mm -hmm. 
uh, slightly hairy house cats, but as we have slightly hairy house cats, yeah, they look sure. like our yeah. house, house yeah. cats. So they, there's a video, which is not on YouTube, it's on some other video site, of a palace cat kitten and a domesticated cat kitten. Uh-huh. And it really is very fascinating. The domesticated cat kitten, as you describe, dances and prances and does tricks and yeah. you know literally does cartwheels in front yeah, of the palace of shit. Yeah. kitten. Yeah. And the palace kitten, although visually looking like the domestic cat to a certain extent, I mean, yeah. it's shaggier, yeah. basically just kind of, just you know... is taking note of it. <laughs> well, no, no, it's, it's almost like it's the butt of the domesticated kitten's jokes. Like, the domesticated <laughs> kitten will play in front of it, and when it doesn't get responses... He's, he's taunting it. Whack it, you know, this kind of stuff. But it, it, it's a very interesting thing associated uh, with optimising for, as as we've talked about with regards to, you know, the domesticated dog and to a lesser extent the domesticated cat. These are creatures that have been optimised for these kind of behaviours. And I, yeah. I think about it with regards to Neanderthals, because yeah. I think the kind of... the. The potential, and this is the interesting about, thing about 23andMe that they don't do. They don't say, oh, you're 6% Neanderthal in their, um, <laughs> you know, in their analysis. Yeah. But my yeah. understanding is that there is, you know, there's a good amount of Neanderthal genetics amongst uh, Homo sapiens. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it is an interesting... There's probably that- some bonobo in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you should mention the bonobo. It came up in conversation this week with my wife, much to the... Uh, yeah, anyway, but the thing the thing about the, the palace kitten versus the domesticated kitten is I do think of it very similar potentially to the kind of Neanderthal approach versus the, you know, the Homo sapien approach. You do get a sense of the... Um, what do you mean by Neanderthal approach? I, I don't... Well, I, I guess the comparison associated with you know, particular kinds of evolution and obviously in the case of the domestic kitten versus the palace kitten, you have one branch that has very much been associated with kind of interacting with humans yeah, and sure, probably yeah. the, the, the ones early on the, on the you know, evolutionary line that behave like palace cats were not you know, picked out by, you know, young... Yeah, yeah, well, uh, that's just the... Yeah, that's the same story yeah. Yeah, as the dogs, yeah, you know, exactly. they, were, they were bred to... Yeah, to do that. But in terms of kind of descriptive differences, and I do think about this... I've, I've been thinking in quite abstract terms over the past week associated with whether particular kinds of humans are just fundamentally... whether mm. they've moved into being a different species. Oh, yeah, I, I think that's obvious. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. Well, there is no such thing as as, as Homo sapiens anyway. That's just a, a classification. So, yes. What there are are a whole bunch of individual language monkeys here, and they're not all the same by a long shot. Hmm. Mm. But it's interesting because I think about. Well, I mean, television is a good decider, actually. I mean, I think if when a good I've, decider. In terms of a division. Oh, you mean whether they're uh, language monkeys and earthlings, you mean? (laughs) Well, I mean, in terms of the amount of television that they watch, and I think about this with regards to... My wife is currently down with her her parents, which oftentimes is the case when we have more opportunity to talk. And I think about when I first met my wife, and in particular our interaction associated with television, and, I mean, I guess through the period of time of my you know, spending time with her in terms of the amount of time that I'll read and do things that don't involve television, we've moved very much along my 
kind of perspective associated oh, with interacting with these. Oh, it would be devices. bad news if it was going the other way. Yeah, <laughs> it is an interesting phenomenon actually because I've I've thought about that critically through the week associated with your um, description of what I should do with the Ray Kurzweil book. Um, in terms of you know shutting down my story and just reading it and getting something from it, yeah, you Which can always a- yeah you can always criticize later. I mean that you know you gotta un- you gotta get it you gotta hear what he's got to say first mm. without criticizing every because you can tear anything apart anytime you want to that's that's no big deal. I mean you no there's no book that's possible to be written that actually has any ideas in it that I probably couldn't tear apart sentence by sentence. And that That's, ain't going to serve me understanding what he's trying to say. Yeah, it's an interesting. It's an interesting critique. I mean, the in the more kind of flip moments of my reflection on this, you know, my thought is, well, you could always just buy a television again and start, <laughs> you know, watching television and completely remove yourself from the story that you yeah, created yeah. over, you know. It, and it, I think, uh, is yeah, but is that the same? Is that well, a valid this is analogy? This thing. is the interesting thing. So yeah. let's. Ex- my okay. view is that through experience, you can, and it, television is very similar to this. I mean, the reason that I don't watch television is because it doesn't engage me in any fashion. The Quality of the stuff that is presented to me on television is so well, substantial. Yeah. But see, that, that had nothing to do. That, you're you're way more rational. I was addicted to television. It didn't make any goddamn difference that it was. Actually, there was plenty of good stuff on there. You know, if you look for it, mm. uh, there, there's plenty. You could easily spend three or four hours a day watching st- stuff that probably isn't bad for you. But mm. you still end up spending three or four hours a day watching somebody else do something <laughs> instead of doing something yourself. The I guess I guess my concern associated with the Kurzweil book is that a lot of it is associated with stuff that I've had connection with. Well, that's why I was thinking you'd find it in- more interesting in some areas than I do, because I don't really care about some of that stuff or understand it well. He's talking about some of the mechanics of artificial intelligence, and yes, um, you know, I don't know but anything about that. I think the thing, and I mean, certainly, yeah, is it even worth delving into? Well, yeah, it's maybe the, it's, it's not. No, it's a, maybe you shouldn't read him. Maybe you shouldn't. Yeah. You know, just because it's it's useful to me doesn't yes. mean it's going to be useful to you. Yes, and I think I certainly have made the commitment to complete the book and will do so. The past two weeks have not facilitated Why? much free time. Why, Why would you do that? Because I snuck in a topic last time associated with uh, Einstein and the theoretical physics around the time of Einstein. And my view is that I should, without um, getting any of your um, critical attention, be able to slip in similar topics through reading the book. <laughs> I've stated it there, folks. You've yeah. heard it here first. Yeah. Well, so my, yeah. my view is that um, the book may actually give us some interesting topics of which I know that you've read at least Kurzweil's account associated with yeah. that. And I can present counter-arguments without actually specifically referring to Well, the why, but why not? See, but that's the whole point. See, I'm really not interested in debating this shit. I don't think it's about debate. I mean, this is the interesting thing. This isn't a debate. This isn't well, but a debate. You're going you're to read him from the point of view of tearing it apart from the beginning. That's your whole. This I'm saying. You're not. You're not actually trying to understand something because you think you already understand it. 
Well, so you're, okay, you're no, leading him with the intention of finding everything wrong with it, which I'm sure no, there are okay, millions let's pause, of things. Let's, pause. Let's, let's just take this turn by turn because you throw five things there at me and just lay God, them you can't. I can't even let's, count that fast. Let's talk, <laughs> let's talk about this whole notion that I have a story associated with this stuff. Okay. Well, we all do. Because, I mean, it's not, well, it's not an okay. accusation. It's well, just you, a fact. Well, it, well, that's interesting. I wouldn't use the F word associated with it. You, you can't use, here's the interesting point. You can't use the F word associated with the, with the fact here yeah. that I have actually, by peer review with hostile academics, been published on not on just one occasion, but on multiple occasions in this field. So yes. within this domain, even though I'm not an academic, I have been able to go through really quite hostile reviewers and be published in contemporary publications associated with this topic. And I'm now, supposed to be impressed by that? No, not at all. Well, then but, what's the point of that? Well, the point about it is that when you start using the F word associated with What's in Kurzweil's writing? Oh, you no, know, that was. But you listen, use, you say it's yeah, a matter that, that of my sloppy. opinion. Yeah, that was that was sloppy. I listen. I use, you know, yes. Call me on my shit. That was sloppy. I, I, you, I could reformulate it probably tighter, but uh, that no, would but require no, some but, effort. No, when we when we talk about a story here, mm-hmm. it's it's interesting that you can discount the experiences that I have had and worked through. And in terms of work, it's that not I've so much the experience; it's your relationship, the the way you hold your experience, is what I'm concerned with. Not really. No, I'm not trying to. I, I can't invalidate your experience. You, you know, that's not even the point. It has nothing to do with it. It's more about an attitude than it is about knowledge. Hmm. At least from my point of view. Okay, so so what I have done over the past. 17 years formally and probably more than 20 years in actuality, engaging with academics and these kind of things, is, is about an attitude as opposed to being about something that's experiential and has a validity which is comparable to what Kurzweil has written. I, I'm not competent to even judge that. I mean, that's I said. But your assertion is... But your assertion is that that is exactly the case, that what this is about... No, that's your interpretation of what I said. Well, I heard, <laughs> I heard five very clear statements that led towards that. Anyway. Okay. So right. my view is that if, if there is a perspective here associated with whatever you may think of my work versus whatever I you don't may know, think of I don't really it. understand your work. You know, I mean, really, uh, I don't understand it. I'm not a coder. I don't know anything about computers at all on that level. I can't even handle the command line. You know, so well, I, I mean, you I don't, know. how could I? I don't. Yeah, my opinion about any of your work is irrelevant. <laughs> well, it's not irrelevant in our communication. Well, it certainly is because I don't understand your work. Hmm. So you read a chapter of mine, maybe what six weeks ago now, maybe eight weeks ago. Yeah, I understood. Yeah, I understood. But yeah, that that's your attempt to be human, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I could, I could, I could understand that. But I mean, again, that was all a bunch of philosophical bullshit. 
what 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 it needs is to be coated so that it becomes embodied in silicone. And that, well, like I say, that's not my that's not my game. Okay. <laughs> so Joe the drummer asked a series of questions associated, funnily enough, with my body of work. And I will read these out, and I, I, I'm actually going to ask you for your particular opinion associated with these <laughs> I've things. always got an opinion. Be happy I'm sure to share do. it. I'm sure you do. <laughs> so, as tends to be the format, I will read it out, um, this time in the order in which he presented them. Okay. Joe the Drummer writes, This might be trite, but if your noble apes were sentient, and got to thinking philosophically, they might come up with an idea that their universe had a creator and write a book with stories about it. The apes couldn't really know the nature of their creator, so they'd probably come up with a bunch of different descriptions. Some apes would think you didn't exist. <laughs> Do you think the god that humans... And my screen have come up. Uh, where are we? Um, you didn't exist. Do you think the god that humans believe in is like you? programmer is it callous to throw an ape in the sea to see how they react <laughs> well let's just start with those two things yeah. I, I really i should have stopped at the first <laughs> really there's a lot to talk about there oh yes yeah so what are your thoughts here <sighs> well i i'd say all of that is is possible and uh, it's wonderful speculation and questioning and it's totally at this point, I mean, meaningless until we do it. I mean, all, anything, who knows what's possible? Is throwing them in their cali- Do we live, you know, I mean, that's, it's, it's almost trite nowadays, though, this idea that we live in a simulation. And maybe that's the way the universe is constructed in that simulations create simulations and they continue on, and the simulations we create will begin to create even more subtle ones. Who knows? But that, that's it's, that's right. I, to me, that's just all sort of fun science fiction, and we'll see. I think in the next uh, hundred years, these may become real, real things. Uh, so let's go to his original question, so we can talk specifically about that. Do you think the god that humans believe in is like you, a programmer? Well, he's asking what what we think. Christians think? Well, it's a very interesting question, isn't it? Well, read because it again, actually. I'm, I'm not... It, I'll, I'll read, I'll read the more... paragraphs leading into that. This might be trite, but if your noble apes were sentient and going to think philosophically, they might come up with an idea that their universe had a creator and write a book with stories about it. The apes couldn't really know the nature of their creator, so they'd probably come up with a bunch of different descriptions. Some apes would think that you didn't exist. Do you think the God that humans believe in is like you, a programmer? <laughs> yeah. Well, everything you said about the noble apes is, is just a, simply a description of humans. Yes. So, There's I mean, an element it, it, of noble it, ape, which is very much well, like well, yeah. So, I mean, it, actually, it's not really a question about noble ape at all. It's a question about belief structures in, in us. <laughs> at least that's the way I see it. So, it's an interesting, it's an interesting idea. My my recollection is that Marie Camacho 
made the point, or maybe it was wherever it was Mots. This is why it's all pro- perhaps good to actually have Facebook up. That um, our kind of predetermination, or perhaps our predilection, or Joe the drummer's predilection here, to think of a deity in kind of Judeo-Christian terms, may be completely artificial. Maybe. And Maybe. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> so. Okay. You're I'm being being, really open-minded. <laughs> I'm being really polite to Joe this week. My, my view is that Joe the drummer is putting the effort to write the question, so we shouldn't just hammer Joe the drummer. Well, I'm not hammering at him. I'm hammering yeah. the idea. If he's smart, he'll pay attention. One would hope so. So the notion of. Well, what's interesting for me is this notion of my relationship to noble ape and the noble apes mm. within the environment. Because the idea that um, my role is strictly that of a programmer is an interesting description. In, in, in actuality, it's probably more likely that the users are the kind of deity that interacts with the simulation. There's the whole notion of kind yeah. of hand of God games. Yeah. So my yeah, role you're a meta god. Actually, sort yeah, of. my role in this is actually <laughs> should be removed in this kind of analysis. I had a quite a long conversation with a fellow um, in Germany who runs Noble Ape for thousands of simulated years, for you know twenty plus generations worth of Noble Apes, and he finds some really interesting situations through that, but. He talked to me quite candidly associated with the fact that he believes noble apes exist and that they have intrinsic rights. And when he (laughs) finds bugs where the noble apes are harmed or die, he takes particular umbrage of this experience. And he also described to me that he had an experience while swimming with his family, um, wondering if noble apes experienced water as he experienced water. (laughs) I think there was also a question through the week associated with do the noble apes experience trauma when you kind of drag them as Joe the drama describes yeah, right. into water. You throw them into the pool. When they and the interesting, the interesting phenomena is that they certainly the sim, there are two conditions that you can do this. The first is that the simulation kind of continues to run. So time continues to evolve and you move the noble apes through this time pattern. So you're literally almost, you know, virtually picking them up and dragging them and putting them in the location that you drop them in. And in those circumstances, you can see graphically that they are actually experiencing trauma through this experience, which is kind of an interesting... No, they're experiencing a discontinuity. I think calling it trauma may be anthropomorphizing just a little bit. Okay, so let's (laughs) talk about the discontinuity here. Okay. Because the discontinuity has certain expectations associated with it, that would be, for example, well, in the condition where you pause the simulation, then you drag and drop the ape, and then you restart the simulation. They have a changed experience associated with that as well. Yeah, but yeah, that would be very unsettling the, because of the discontinuity. Yes. The cognitive simulation, the actual, you know, the, the reactive part of the noble ape simulation mind does have a space component to it. And it is a space component which is very much built upon over time. Time here doesn't just mean the evolution of time, it means the ape's movement through time as well. So if they move at particular speeds and these kind of things, and this literally builds like almost like an internal map, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. of their environment. Yeah, they need that. Exactly. Yeah. So moving them faster than they've ever moved previously changes that map quite dramatically. And in yeah. fact, it perturbs their movement. So yeah. in, in programming terms associated with these simulated entities, 
the description associated with trauma, as it kind of anthropomorphically maps onto humans, you can actually see that effect going in there. It, it's literally kind no, of... Listen, you, I mean, you know, we don't have to go into it that much about that word. No, I'm just suggesting I, I I just a discontinuity would be a little... But I've explained the distinction. Here. Yeah, okay. So, so, yeah, I mean, that's... My feedback to Joe the Drummer is that um, there is a notion of kind of you know, the hand of God games. There's, in fact, a description of games that do this. Um, but the the notion of any kind of deity in these circumstances, and particularly some perspective on the deity, is, is very, very curious and probably actually is more, more something that it would be... I thought about this, particularly leading into this recording, Heron. <laughs> we almost need, we almost need, you know, mots, maybe, maybe smaller quantities of mots, but we need mots, we need Joe the Drummer, we need Marie Camacho, we need Marie's we need to come boyfriend. In here and... We need them to come in here. Yeah, well, we, need them to we can arrange in. that sometime. Yeah, I think either they record audio for us. No, 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 no. If we're going to do that, I mean, who wants to hear a record? They could type, that would, you know, who cares? Yeah. Uh, no, they, they need to be here. Well, we might have to record at different times to get Joe the Drummer on. But... Well, whatever, you know. Uh, <laughs> I think that would. I, I'm certainly up for it if anybody wants to do that. But there need to be some rules, so it's not just somebody coming in here and bullshitting and yeah, cool man, <laughs> you know. Uh, so they probably ought to ought to submit a request and talking about what they want to talk about. Yeah, does that sound reasonable to you? No, I do model radio. I open the phone lines, Sarah, and my view is oh, opening uh, the phone lines is another thing. Uh, yes. Okay, yeah, I, I don't have any objection to that, but I, I didn't think that's what we were talking about. So, yeah, my view is that um, I'm interested in actually engaging with for folks who are listening in, and those folks that kind of actively participate and certainly. <laughs> You know, put questions you know what? We there. could have a special night, we, or we could alternate weeks, or yeah. or have a or something else uh, where where it's really just is open mics, or, and people just show up. And I mean, we'll control the mics, but but it's sort of free form. Who shows up? Let's see what we can talk about. Yeah, potentially so. I mean, I'm certainly open to that. Yeah, so yeah, anyway, Joe, Joe has more questions. Yeah, oh, good. So hmm, this kind of continues along the. Um, theme, but anyway, let's pursue this. Would I, was it, sorry, let me read it in the, as, as Joe writes, would you tell the apes about you, their God, their universe, <laughs> which is a computer, and their universe, which is a computer program? So, this is an interesting question, because I don't think, I mean, as noted, I don't think there's any kind of deity relationship to this. And it's interesting, because I don't think of the universe as a computer program either, because the computer program is them too. I mean, it's the computer program is everything around them, aside from, I guess, memory and these kind of things. So it's not that I think of Noble Ape as being, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting distinction there about what actually constitutes a universe in this concept. Yeah, it's, a, it's actually an amazing uh, thing to think about when you get right down to it. I mean, a lot of uh, physics certainly isn't, isn't in contradiction to uh, the idea that we might be living in a simulation. I mean, in fact, most of physics points to that. Yeah. Okay. You're right. I, I was, I guess, being gentle. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and that's, you know, the, the usual criticism is we always take the latest technology and then map that on everything. You know, 
And so to say, you know, yeah, that's what we're doing again, and it makes sense. But still, <laughs> it solves the infinity problem. You know, it's really the whole idea of simulations within sim. There's no, there's no end to the possibilities in that. Yes. <laughs> Although at some level we must be, if we want to be totally that, Cartesian. Well, but we don't. That's just a story. We well, that story—that's one. I mean, it's one story. It's one of many. Yes, <laughs> you know, that's, but, that's that's one story. Yeah, at some level of the simulation, that story needs to needs to have something. Um, maybe even if, well, even if, okay. So linguistically, at least, we need to have a concept at some level of the concept of the story. Huh? Say that again. I didn't. At some level, yeah. In when you say that there is a story in a simulation, even if that doesn't point to anything, that utterance on some level must, at least in the ether that it is uttered, uttered, have some reference within the simulation, I would imagine. Well, the story itself is... That's independent of actually saying it. I'm just saying Uh the utterance of it, the fact that you and I can both agree upon communicating, aside from the fact if we are one like one complete entity at one point. But the the notion that there are potentially simulations within simulations within simulations, yes. But on some level, the existence of um, the communication indicates that that exists at some simulated level, at least. (laughs) Honestly, I don't understand what you just said. I I followed it all up until that last sentence. Okay, well, you weren't following it Four sentences ago, so anyway, moving from that. Yeah. So, Joe the Drummer, um, I'd like to up the ante a little bit here with these kind of questions because I think there's certainly more meat in these kind of topics, but it's probably better that you refer to something that's perhaps slightly more generalist and, um, you know, more greatly consumed associated with these things. But, yeah, keep, keep coming. the questions coming, Joe the Drummer. Moving on. So I've had um, some extensive communication through the week. In fact, through the past couple of weeks, as we didn't record last week, from Marie Camacho and also Marie Camacho's boyfriend. Cool. Well, mate. <laughs> okay. So Are I, they stalking I, you now? I want to put this idea out. <coughs> and hey, listen, let me uh, go one fill my wine glass. glass. Yeah, do what you need to. Hold on. Okay. So, I, I've put out there, maybe in our last recording, maybe in our recording prior, that I couldn't understand how Marie Camacho had come to the Stone Ape podcast. Mm, yeah. Somewhere through Marie's correspondence with me following... I realized that her boyfriend is actually a fellow who's been contacting me, I guess, for the past two years associated with Noble Ape. Ah. 
So through the melees of ongoing noble ape development, I'm contacted periodically. I mean, it used it used to be a higher number. I mean, last year and the year before, I recall quite well because I would actively track when I was contacted that at least in the order of every two weeks, I would get a serious point of contact associated with Noble 8. This number has declined recently. I'm not really sure what the, you know, I mean, I'm not actively promoting Noble 8 as much as I perhaps was yeah. doing two years ago. Um, but it, and There also, does like, seem to be an ebb, and I've been doing this for like six years, mm-hmm. and it comes and goes. There are waves. So... <laughs> I did at one period of time actively go on the uh, SourceForge website and post jobs associated with Noble Ape, actually going to the website and saying, this is an open source simulation that's been going on since 1996. These are the kinds of things that we need people to work on. And through that, that probably motivated a good portion of the contact that I received associated with Noble Yeah, Ape. yeah. That because people good. saw yeah. it. And yeah. uh, I would maintain at least two of these a month. And I did it probably for a period of about eight to ten months. And that in- Why'd you Sorry. start? Um, so this is an interesting phenomenon. And I'm, I'm not, I've, I've kind of debated how I'm even going to frame this, particularly talking about Marie Camacho's boyfriend. But through these contacts, the initial excitement associated with Noble Ape is always very honest and um, very positive. Yeah, for those people... <laughs> yeah, when you get yes. the right people, man, it's just what they were looking for. And none of those people basically... Actually, that's not true. We had um, probably in the order of maybe a year and a half ago now, a woman who uh, was in New England who'd just been laid off from a job in Motorola uh work on Noble 8 for about three months. And she created a section of the code, which was, a you know, her work um, and very much appreciated. Uh, and that, I think, was the only example through this <coughs> period of these people who got in contact actively contributing to the source code. Mm. So well, what about just the, con- I mean, have you made any useful connections with people who are doing interesting things? So part of the contact, part of the folks who would contact me would do so with the view that even having contact with me and Noble Ape would benefit them. And this was an interesting phenomenon because certainly, uh, particularly undergraduate students who would contact me, would oftentimes use it on their, you know, resumes or LinkedIn that they had been associated with Noble Ape mm-hmm. in some fashion, which <laughs> I have, you know, I have mixed feelings about in that regard because my view is that if you send me a couple of emails, <laughs> that you know, constitutes you a, you're a member of the team. <laughs> that so this is historically where Marie Camacho's boyfriend has fallen, and I don't mind this. Uh, yeah, I don't see what it really has to do with you. Well, it's an interesting phenomenon because basically there is a the unit of work associated with a project like Noble Ape is work. And well, what I'm saying is, if anybody calls to check, you can just tell them the truth. If so, they don't check, who the hell cares? 
<laughs> Marie Camacho's boyfriend has put on his LinkedIn um, whatever and actually created a, like a fake Noble Ape thing on his LinkedIn thing, which puts him in the team, even though it doesn't ah. link back to the official LinkedIn version. Do you have of... any sort of copyright or trademark on, on yes, Noble I could, Ape? Yes, I could, actually, I could actually throw that. But my view is that... Well, um, you just ask him to stop. <laughs> well, or ask him to... Actually, you know, work on Noble well, Ape. Yeah, a, that would be cool. Justify it or stop yeah, doing it. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting phenomenon because certainly – and they fall into a well-defined group of people that do contact me on a regular basis and say to me, you know, I'm, I'm boots and all into working on Noble Ape now. I'm really interested in this section or this section or this section and I'm going to be contributing in the near future. And this is just a familiar narrative. And then you never hear anything again. Well, no, I hear from them every three months, and they say this every three months. Oh, okay. Oh, that's even worse. Hopefully you never hear from them again. Well, no, this is – so Marie Camacho's <laughs> boyfriend is very much part of that pattern to me, um, yeah. aside from the LinkedIn business. Have you but, ever told him that before? Well, I am currently. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So yeah, my view is that um, I'm not – I don't necessarily want to be – in any degree of negative sentiment towards people who just like checking in with the project on a regular basis. In fact, quite frankly, I do enjoy particularly receiving long and detailed emails from, I, I think of, there's, a, there's a fellow called, um, I can't think of his surname, but his name is Wayne. He's a doctor. He's based in Massachusetts. He's done work in Africa. He's been an ongoing user of Noble 8 for more than 12 years now. He will email me at least annually with some new ideas, some new perspective, some discussion yeah. associated with the genetics. These are the kind of users, and I think similarly, you know, my friend, um, you know, Mike um, in Burbank, um, these are the kind of users I actually like, you know. Of I like course. to have a kind of ongoing discussion and, you know, and these kind of things, and this is all very positive. The effort for kind of continued work, I mean, Bob Bottram is you know, on a pinnacle associated with this. But yeah. there have been, it's interesting actually. Anything that they actually do is is a, a positive contribution, whether it's a little or a lot. So, as I may have described through previous discussion, perhaps somewhat codified, a good portion of my day-to-day work is with Apple, which involves going to Apple and working with Apple engineers and a wide variety of other things. Through the past couple of weeks, I've been working with a new engineer at Apple. He's not a new engineer at Apple. He's been connected with the project, you know, for many years. It's just, I'm, it's my first introduction to him. And following an initial telephone conversation with him, just as we were wrapping up the kind of technical discussion, he said to me, are you the Tom Barbelay associated with No Blake? <laughs> and I said, yes. And he said, 10 years ago, I interned at Apple I was an intern at Apple, and I worked on Noble Ape with the original team, um, Nathan Slingerland and Sanjay Patel, who were the two engineers that first, you know, prototyped um, the vector processing version of Noble Ape and really championed it up until the point that Apple let them go. And I, we then went through a series of names of people who'd worked on Noble Ape, and he had a number of connections that overlapped. He himself, as an intern, had worked on Oblate at Apple. This creates an amazing um, and almost undescribable bond. <laughs> you got so that. I've been working yeah. in his presence for the past week, like literally going to Apple and working yeah. with him. 
And it is amazing, actually, on so many different levels, he understands and really fundamentally respects me in ways which are actually quite surreal to me because of the nature <laughs> yeah. of my book. Yeah, you know? I know it's the same. Well, same. It, it, when, when people who actually understand language and yeah. academics and stuff respond well to what I'm talking about, that's yeah. satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 To meet these people in Squish is a different experience, though, than just receiving email. And it's an interesting phenomena because, I mean, I've talked about this at WWDC as well, actually meeting people who had attended the original talks that Nathan and, and Sanju put together at, at WWDC 2003. All these kind of things are just really, you know, I, I feel very isolated associated with the work that I do with Overlay. And it's an isolation which is ultimately part of the craft element of it. But to meet people in the wild that have used it, and people I don't even know about, which is yeah. one of the interesting things. So these kind of experiences are very... I would imagine there's more you don't know about oh, than you yeah, do. No, no this, is, yeah. this is something which I just have to acknowledge. Yeah. It's, there. it's a matter of fact. Yeah, there are people out there who are yeah. doing something with it. And Yeah, I mean, I, 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 there's a density of them that work at Google. Um, so... In part, doing public talks and doing open public talks to kind of bring these people in and also to bring other people in and all these kinds yeah. of things. Are things that to I'm... build a community. Exactly. But you can do that online too. Yes, you can. Yeah. I don't, I'm not disagreeing yeah. yeah. with this yeah. point. Yeah. But, so what's happened over the past couple of weeks is that Marie Camacho in particular has um, really become very interested in Noble 8. Now, Marie Camacho is a nursing student, and some of the stuff we're doing with Noble Ape associated with physiology, for example, would be something that she might be interested in getting involved with. She's also, as a number of people have, done, you know, programming courses previously, so she has some interest there. This may, <laughs> I put out there, have created some kind of competitive element with her boyfriend. Which is an interesting phenomenon in and of, its, of <laughs> yeah, itself, because yeah. her boyfriend is now emailing me associated with Marie's involvement with Noble Ape as well. This came to a head when Marie... Yeah. Sorry. Well, I'm, I'm just not sure this is the place to talk about this stuff. So... Is it? It's an Have interesting... Have you considered thing. this? I've considered it very much so. This is why I'm raising it in this format. Okay. All right. Go for it, man. So... <laughs> You may, you may, you probably don't recall the conversation that we posed maybe two years ago now associated with Gerald de Jong. My friend Gerald de Jong, we were talking about him, I think, in the early 20s of the Stone Age podcast. And uh, I mentioned that Gerald de Jong's wife had purchased some, or had some Noble 8 evening wear. <laughs> so... Marie obviously hasn't listened to those episodes of, of the Stone Ape recording, but um, my view is that Stone Ape potentially, in this relationship at least, <laughs> exists like a virus. And I want to put it out there, particularly to the... It's interesting, actually, because when I think of the demographic that listens to Stone Ape, I do really think of the what we've kind of... the kind of cloistered NRA demographic that we've talked about previously... But there's obviously a broader there's a broader group of people out there. I, I think I don't think there is a demographic. We're talking about people who are well, conscious. I mean again, the 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 language is really sloppy here, but we're talking about you know, and and anyway, they seem to show up just about everywhere. 
they're a tiny percentage of uh, of the overall population and that makes them an identifiable group but they don't belong to any identifiable group that I've been able to find rich people poor people political people unpolitical people religious people you know yeah. so let me let me put this out there I've today I took the day off I've basically been working over weekends for you know living memory and I decided that I actually needed to take the day off. I didn't end up working from home for a portion of the day, but I took the day off primarily because I have a backlog of audio. Primarily um, <laughs> Noble Ape and Artificial Life-related audio. Yeah, listen, I've got 40, <laughs> 40 files waiting yeah. to be edited. <laughs> so, thankfully, a day's worth of audio editing for me will actually get through this backlog, and I have audio that I'm ready to put up and all this kind of stuff. So it's a smaller backlog than you have, Heron. But the thing that strikes me is that I put a phenomenal amount of time oh, yeah. into recording, editing, and putting out audio and I'm not really clear where the um, benefit here is the wrong term, where my energy should be focused. Yeah, I, you know, maybe we could figure out a way to get our listeners to do the indexing. Well, I've tried that, you know, with, I've tried that with Model this. Rail Radio. What I did with Model Rail Radio was I put a wiki up and I said to the listeners, I can't do this portion, but you guys should get involved. And for about ah. 20 episodes of Model Rail Radio, thank in part to new listeners that got excited about discovering this podcast on trains, started actually doing this. And they created a phenomenal catalogue for about 20 episodes, where I had created the catalogue for probably the first 15 episodes. Then, um, well, anything associated with wikis, you've got this whole kind of hacker phenomena too. They're not really hackers, they're just kind of miscreant. Troublemakers, just assholes. Exactly. So the maintenance of that became a greater phenomenon than actually Uh, putting the information up, and that basically killed it. Ah, too bad. What do they do? What were what kind of things would they do? And you couldn't block ISPs or So we did I we went through all these things basically, and we went through initially a huge um, editing phase, just removing their links, and then we went through increasingly complicated registration and then finally we (laughs) required they are determined no they're very very determined in fact it's interesting actually because i run fresh this ought to be a capital offense i think i well if it weren't for the fact that you can distribute advertising through the mail so you have the advertising through the mail lobby that basically every time there's any legislation associated with this being a capital offence or at least some <laughs> kind of civil prosecuted offence, the advertising through the mail lobby squashes it. I mean, the phenomena that spam is a US phenomena in physical form that has moved to an electronic form that has gone international <laughs> yeah. is very, very real. Yeah, yeah. But anyway... I and it's all capital. So you get rid of the money bullshit exactly. and all of that evaporates with it. There's yeah. just no need for it. Yeah. Unfortunately, the U.S. Postal Service feels that it would also suffer if it didn't have these people paying for anyway. So yeah, yeah, yeah right, yeah, yeah. But who the hell cares about the post office anyway? Fuck the post office. Let let the you know other carriers deal with it. Who yeah. the hell writes letters anyway? Yeah. And if they I, do, then fuck. So what if it costs you two dollars to mail it? So what? Yeah. Anyway. So that's the argument against, unfortunately, outsourcing, adding... But just you don't the, think that might have changed, that there might be better tools? or, or that, that, I still follow it with regards to FreshSim, and 
basically the barriers for entry that were put up actually knocked off legitimate potential editors faster than it knocked off the yeah, spammers. Okay, yeah. All right. Well, going so back just to the act, of we haven't got it yet. It. Yeah, <laughs> we I mean, still just have a lot of work ahead. <laughs> there's been some discussion, and again, with a far larger listener base, I floated these ideas through Model Rail Radio first, associated with um, farming out the audio editing. And truth be told, now particularly I employ an artist, and we'll get to that in my topics for this evening. I thought about actually employing an audio editor as well. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Because in terms of my general time and energy, there would be some benefit yeah, in finding you could be an equivalent to doing more important to, things. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and that's time consuming. You're right. It's if you could find some time-consuming. college student that you could exactly. train properly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The problem. The problem there is always, and this relates to the comic book discussion as well this evening, associated with competency. Well, you have to, yeah. That's your ability to uh, to get who you're dealing with. You're, yes. You need to be able to evaluate them very well. Good luck. So <laughs> that's the whole issue. That's always been the whole issue of of getting involved with other people. Yes. You know, is who are you know? Do these people actually do what they say they can do? <laughs> you know, do they do what they say they're going to do when they said they're going to do it? To the quality that they said that they were going yeah, to do. Yes. Yeah. So about a year ago, I looked into converting aspects of the Noble Ape simulation to edit audio. Because I think there's actually a relatively simple, you know, intelligent agent system that could edit audio. And it came down to the audio format in the end. It came down to the fact that historically I've used AIFF before, you know. Yeah in and out audio and yeah. I have a standard AIFF library that I wrote which handles these things and it's built into Noble Ape now. Okay. The problem is even within AIFF there are more than a dozen formats that these the recording the audio in would require converters to those formats that convert us to Noble Ape. And after fighting with this for about three months I realized that I was actually wasting podcast editing time trying to actually get the AIFF stuff to work the way that I wanted to do, even though I could do basic editing and I could do reasonable mixing, and I was at the point of writing rules. But these, the backlog of audio generates so <laughs> fast yeah. through this time that it was, dis- it was a disadvantage at that point. Yeah. The volume of audio that I record, and what's historically happened when my wife has gone away is I've recorded more. I'm not doing it this time, thankfully. <laughs> but the volume of audio that I record is such that I'm putting out between you know 20 to 25 hours of audio a month, typically. Yeah. It's insane. And yeah. the and, to, and you, like I said, you put in a lot of effort, too. I mean, you, yes. you index it all and yeah yeah no i mean it's, listen it's, to it and everything yeah and i cut i mean I, I, my view yeah, is that yeah there was a period and i'm now i'm now in a kind of questioning period associated with this logic but there was a period where i viewed actually my listeners time and my listeners experience to be something that i was you know, I, I wish ahead. i could afford to do that you know i wish i could put out stuff like you do so with Model Rail Radio in particular, because I have nominally, in theory, competitors, uh, although they compete on a very different scale than I want to in you know, what I'm putting out, 
I am keenly sensitive to issues of audio quality and a, a variety of things, and I've been able to optimize my audio editing. But it still takes time. It takes a phenomenal amount of time. Well, you actually to listen to there. it. Not only do I listen to it, yeah. I actually I'm careful. I mean, so that to, means for every hour of recording, there's another hour to listen to it again. Well, it's interesting actually or because I've, it- I've worked it. I worked it down for a period of time to about fifty minutes. Fifty minutes, and I, I keep records associated. With and this you can listen at double speed too, if you try. That's that? exactly what I do. Yeah, no, okay. In order All to right, get yeah. to fifty minutes, I have to listen at double yeah. speed because I have to actually. But for the, that kind of editing, that probably works just fine, doesn't it? To a certain extent, I mean, yeah. you just you can't shorten down six and a half to seven hours of recorded audio into. I mean, I've been able to crash edit it, and this is what I'm going to try and do because I have two shows of model rail radio that I haven't gotten out yet. Um, both in the order of about five and a half to six hours of produced oh, audio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's, here's my thought is <laughs> that through this process, my recordings associated with Noble Ape, my broader kind of artificial life recordings like these Reddit guys that I'm about to put out the audio of, which I'll probably win the Stone Ape feed as well, are recordings that I'm just not sure what the intrinsic value of these things are. Let and, the listeners figure that. Well, out. this is the interesting thing because the listeners figure that out passively, and I do get some sense. If I went and tr- looked at the numbers, it would give me a sense associated with the volume, and that's always a great boy to my spirits associated well, with this. Thing. What about? I mean, are there what comments are enabled? In a, right, I mean, if this stuff is coming through. Yeah, but the academic listeners, I mean, when I, when I went to the Artificial Life Conference, I was actually approached by academic listeners that said very positive things associated with the biota recordings. Unfortunately, they were the minority experience over time associated with the Artificial Life Conference. So my general thinking associated with all of that is that I'm better spent, my time is better spent actually working on no blame. It's also really difficult to organize the biota recordings. Because what used to happen was that I had a critical mass of maybe six folks that were actively writing artificial life simulations that I'd been working with for maybe three or four years. They knew the format. They were easy to record. They would come on periodically, talk about their projects, talk about you know issues in science, broader issues. And I had a series of talking heads that were reliable. Of this group, roughly two-thirds of them now have nothing to do with artificial life. So I basically reduced it down to two people, one of whom is kind of difficult to kind of communicate with, another of whom is working on a startup currently, although an artificial life-based startup. But the remainder have basically moved out of the field. And these, yeah. are, these are relatively senior Well, sometimes people. ideas or things or institutions come to their natural end. Well, this is interesting because what I've done is actually found a community on Reddit that are interested, there are, they're like the next generation of artificial life folk. And I've yeah. got a recording of theirs that I'm about to put yeah. out. Okay, yeah. The yeah. interesting thing about them is they're considerably less academic. Like even the non academic artificial life thing. thing. Well, to a certain extent. But I think if you, if you get excitement through reinventing the wheel, then you're going to get excitement through this. And well, I who knows, who knows whether they might reinvent the wheel even better, though? Well, this is always the point. But I guess you need to know that the wheel is out there. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're talking individual cases, one by one. There are not everybody's going to be that way. Some people will. Uh, I don't see that so as necessarily a, survey, a big problem. Of a surveying of five of them, you know, like, I guess that's my role. I mean, this is what I found through that conversation. Yeah, you need to be involved in the process exactly. to bring some sanity to exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> Without 
cramping their creativity and fun. So you got to do it in a way that works for them. Good luck. <laughs> well, the first one's recorded and it'll be coming out very, very shortly, probably before this comes out. So we'll get a sense through that. It yeah. is interesting because I, there were certainly parts through the recording where I did, quite fundamentally, crush aspects of their optimism. Not initially intentionally so, but certainly by the conclusion of it, I realized that... Optimism about what? About the idea that they could create something that ticked all their ethical boxes, but also something that ticked all their salary, professional career... You know, these kind of boxes as well. This notion, this pure idealism notion, which is absolutely a beautiful thing that I acknowledge existed well within Barbalay and got me out of Australia. It was like the booster rocket, you know? You need that in order to get to the... Again, there are... Some people are ready for... Some people have that, some people don't. Some people are terrified of that. Yeah. Uh, Other people thrive in that domain. Well, you, you... For a field like artificial life, I've never, and this is a surveying here of more than 60 people that I've interviewed on the field, Yeah, I've never found one that didn't have some fundamental idealism associated really? with their oh, good. efforts. Good. In fact, I think, I mean, this is the, Really, this is never the shared, one out of, that's this awesome. Is, this is the shared vision associated yeah. with model rail fraternity and the artificial life folks. Yeah, they actually In care. order to create a virtual world, you need to be able to find wonder in the virtual world that you are going to create. You need to have a certain amount of idealism that motivates the pursuit. Otherwise, you're just going to be watching Dancing with the Stars. Because <laughs> you wouldn't even have the motivation to start. I mean, this is the thing. Yeah, the motivation yeah. Yeah, why do anything, be, really? Exactly. Yeah. I just but, got I mean, home from work, you know, <laughs> just want to have a dinner and a beer, you know, punch the wife good night, and, and then get up and go to work tomorrow. Yeah. <sighs> Damn. So, it is, what I'm, what I'm going through currently, <laughs> and some of this actually relates to the comic book project as well, I mean, I think I fundamentally change when I don't have days off. When I work through weekends, and when I talk about working through, I mean, talking about, you know, starting work at regular work hours and ending work later than I would normally yeah. work. How many hours week- a week are you, have you been putting in? Uh, I. It's interesting, actually, because the conditions that I have currently, and I've thought about this, I've reflected heavily <coughs> on this, are still slightly better than the conditions I had in Las Vegas. Even okay, and a lot more money and better. Yes. Okay, well, shit. Yes. Yeah. So, I can't, so you're not going to be too critical about this. You just exactly. sort of, it can't last forever because you'll die, you know. It, if, it, it, look, it, it does change me fundamentally, and it changes oh, me yeah. fundamentally in ways that I've been coming to understand. The irritation level is such that I get more irritated by things, and I have to yeah. be mindful yeah. of this particularly because i mm. live with another human yeah being. yeah well not only that but at work that's that can be a, exactly a deadly yeah. you know yeah, yeah no very much so yeah. very much so in fact i you you see a mirror with your peers in these circumstances but the thing that's interested me through this is my working with anita on the comic book project because the comic book project for me is a series of things but one of the things that we have kind of talked about maybe skimmed over is the hope associated with the comic book project the hope that by reimagining fundamentally, by using someone else's imagination here 
on a body of work that I kind of created 20 odd years ago, 17 years ago, whatever, that it will change the work sufficiently that it will get a broader interest group, a different interest group, something completely removed from what the original work had. And part of that is a perspective associated with the quality of the art. Sure. Yeah. Duh. And so <laughs> yeah, that's a huge part of it. Through the week, and this has been kind of niggling at me, but it's actually because of the circumstances of you know my work week. I came to appreciate, and people need to understand that the section of the novella that Anita is working on currently is again my story, but something that describes events that I experienced where there is a character called Tom through these experiences through the week. And I've kind of, it's been niggling at me, but I was able to actually by literally taking screenshots and comparing in a row, the drawing of the Tom character through multiple cells, cells adjacent cells far apart, that there are maybe half a dozen Toms plus random other Toms that are visually sufficiently dissimilar that they don't look like coherent characters. And it's something that's kind of come to me over the past week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could just accept everything at first. That's just, uh, yeah. yeah. The, now all of a sudden you're noticing No, 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 no. It's, it's mm-hmm. particularly... She, to, to describe this to the audience, and what I want to do is actually get her to do non-comic book-related frames that I can actually start showing people as well. But within the work that I'm passing her, I'm passing her eight, nine pages of comic book, um, which is 18, typically, sometimes 20 separate cells that she draws, where I put in the text initially, and then she draws the, the art. Yeah. And we work through the text and the art, and we have a process where she does initial rough sketch, then she does penciling, then she does ink. Yeah. In the past nine cells, that, oh, sorry, the past nine pages that she's gotten, most of this has just been Tom. Up until this part of the story, there are other characters, but this is a period of kind of isolation in the story where Tom is alone for, you know, nine of these pages. Okay, well, yeah. about seven of them. So she's had to draw more of Tom than she's had to draw probably through the entire work to date. Yeah. She has a particular affinity for a couple of the characters, not Tom. And she draws them very well, and they are very recognisable throughout. But Okay, so she's got some work to do on Tom. Yes. <laughs> so, and it's have of, you told her that? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah, good. <laughs> Through recent, I mean, funnily enough, since our last recording, when I said everything was going swimmingly, we were flying through this project, Things came to a grinding halt, and part of it, and part of it, perfectly frankly, was that I was trying to jam too much text in a series of pages. So once the text was recut and repositioned, then she was able to kind of get through the first obstacle. Oh, but yeah. this section is basically about her artwork and her background stuff, and with other characters other than Tom, are all very good. It's a slightly deeper, more mysterious, slightly sexier version of my experiences through this, but. It is something that I'm very receptive to. But I've really put my foot down associated with this Tom drawing. Yeah. Because, funnily enough, I have some affinity to this character as well. 
So I've tried not to embody too much associated with my affinity to this. But yeah, it's I have important been that you fun. yeah that you keep yourself distant from that. I would think. Mm. So what what this exactly, is a character that exactly, you're selling? Exactly. No, no, <laughs> without question, without question. Yeah. But it it struck me as within probably a week of our last recording, she emailed me and said that she was going to find other work as well. Mm-hmm. I'm. In terms of just the volume of work that she has to produce for this comic book, um, I need her to work when she's working, because obviously she's a master's student as well. But when she's working, she basically needs to be working for me full-time in order to finish this project. I mean, not full-time in terms of, you know, 40, yeah. 50 hours a week, but if she's got 20 hours... Well, is she de- delivering to stuff to you on time now? The whole notion of on time is an interesting phenomenon because my view is that if I'm constantly having to pass back work to her, I'd much rather her tell me how long things are going to take or actually take the time rather than to pass work to me quickly. But I really felt, um, particularly because I paid her extra, I paid her extra through these difficult periods because I appreciated she was putting more work in. And then I felt really quite blindsided, actually, that she'd come back and said, actually, I've decided to pick up some additional work as well. As long as it doesn't affect negatively what she's doing for you what difference does it make the time well my view is that i probably should actually have at least two other artists on this project and i'm willing to give her the benefit of the doubt in the short term if she can produce through it but i probably need to get at least two other artists ah, well see that's the whole issue yeah is uh, how long a yeah, artist shit good luck man <laughs> that but yeah Doing a project like this again, you're trying. It's like trying to herd cats, as they say. It's it's <laughs> yeah. more than that because I'm dealing. I'm dealing with. I mean, the, the, there's a piece of work associated with this that I might have told you. I think I posted through maybe through the Facebook group, associated with the history of the the fictional novella in Field of Chaos, and creating a historical book in the kind of Osprey series. Um, Describing the historical period that this goes through and giving a kind of not associated with Field of Chaos as a novella, but associated with this is the kind of fictitious history of, you know, this environment, which fills in a lot of gaps that aren't in Field of Chaos explicitly. This requires an artist that has a particular aesthetic that Anita doesn't have. And I'm offering Anita that work now just as a kind of carryover but I probably need to hire another artist and work out how I actually bridge this conversation with her. I'm still not talking with her, and in fact, my interaction with her over the past couple of weeks makes me think that basically we are locked into email communication. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is a good learning experience. I mean, trying to trying to put a real project together in the real world, like I said, I've only done it once, and it mm. was... You know, it, it was a great learning experience. Mm. Well, the whole thing was about finding the right people, really. Once I, once I found the right people, it really went pretty smoothly. There were a couple hitches, but <clears throat> the the I mean, out, out for a two year project, I spent probably twenty months. Well, no, nineteen, eighteen, nineteen months just trying to find the people. And when, when I found them, uh, yeah. it, 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 we put it together pretty quick. There are a couple of distinctions here. The first is that I'm putting in my own money into this. Well, I know. I'm not saying the same thing. I'm just saying the trouble is finding people. Yeah. The second part is that if if it isn't viable, if it doesn't create something, it is an interesting learning experience without question. Yeah. But the aim, the aim, 
if stated explicitly, is to produce a comic book that people firstly are willing to pay money for yeah. through a Kickstarter, but also potentially following on from that are willing to pay money going on. That it has intrinsic value <laughs> that people can immediately access in some way. Yeah, yeah. Good old capitalism. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have no sympathy for me whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> you can go cry on somebody else's shoulder. I know. I mean, the point about it is, even even in failure, it's is going to be a learning experience. Even in this circumstance, oh yeah, absolutely. It's a That's the beauty experience. of it. Yeah, you can't yeah. lose. <laughs> yeah, and at any stage, at any stage, you know, either of us could walk away, and it could still be a functioning project going forward as well. In fact, the thing that interests me through this is that maybe at the conclusion of Anita finishing the project, and I'm certainly thinking about that associated with doing test prints, it's almost at the stage where I want to start doing test prints because we have a sufficient number of pages, we'll be in the 30s, 40s of pages within the next couple of weeks. And that's the kind of period that I want to start doing test prints because that's the point where I can pass it to critical eyes and have people actually give strong critical feedback associated with the work. Yep. From my perspective, and I've used Mike and Why And why, what do you expect to learn from this feedback? Whether I need to go back to Anita and say, actually, you need to touch up a few of these cells, whether Anita's style, I mean, the style of a comic book artist varies so greatly. Each comic book artist borrows from some set of styles. Anita has a style where there is a vast quantity of detail in some sections and then no detail in other sections. So it's used almost for impact where you will go from these visually extremely rich cells, literally raindrops on leaves, to uh, two faces in a complete vacuum staring at one another. And it's very cinema... I mean, the, the cinematography yeah. in her in her artistry, the, the notion of doing top-down, side-on, back views, you, I can see that work, and I'm very yeah. mindful of the fact that she's smart in that sense. Yeah, yeah. She just needs to be able to draw Tom coherently throughout these scenes. <laughs> that would be helpful, yeah. yeah. Oh, I get that. That's Tom, yeah. right? Yeah, that's, <laughs> okay, all right, yeah, that's Tom. Yeah. You could always get a tattoo on your forehead. Yeah, you know, so I'm, that would that would solve the problem. Then she the could draw you that, anyway. You know, the problem is that the the, the distinctions are so great. The <laughs> spherical face, Tom. There's Tom with no nose, but spherical face. There's Abraham Lincoln, Tom. I mean, there <laughs> well, are actually, sufficient... I kind of well. Have you asked her about that? I mean, maybe she's going for some really psychedelic thing here. You know, that you just haven't caught up to yet. There is an element of that, <laughs> and that's that's something that I'm sympathetic to because I'm my view is that the psychedelic community is a potential consumer of this comic book. Quite Tom easy. is a chameleon. Yes. Well, that's another interesting You never point. know what the hell he's going to look it's like. The, you see, I, I looked at this in a sympathetic light that maybe this was stylistic, but it got to the point of just irritation. <laughs> like, it wasn't going to be a style that I could explain. Yeah, it may be stylistic, but it's not my style. Well... <laughs> Well, it is your comic book. See, that's the thing, is point. You know, I mean, is ultimately somebody has to make a choice, and since you're paying for it, that's you. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But I'm very mindful that um, it's because of the circumstances of my day-to-day work life 
that I am sufficiently irritated. I might have left, let her get away with the, you know, half a dozen different Toms for probably at least another two cycles of work before it really blew up. But my yeah. level of irritation is such that it has capped that. Well, I mean, you, it's really just coming to the decision that, well, you need to be in communication with her. I mean, like, maybe if she can convince you that there's some reason for that and you're convinced, fine. Go for it. Convince me. If not, it would be mm. nice if people could recognize the character as being the same character from one panel to the next. When I get home at 8.30 in the evening and continue working through to midnight and then wake up in the morning and <laughs> recycle, 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 weekend comes, I'm just doing it at home. Yeah. My perspective associated with these things, I realized I'd actually let her... I, I, I hadn't been as... as focused on the project as I perhaps needed yeah, to be. Yeah. Um, well, how so, many yeah, how many hours you say you didn't answer the question as to how many hours a week you were working. The problem is that it's always on. Well, I yeah. Mean, okay, yeah, even when you're yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah you, just, mean, you don't have any Well, how the hell do you do all these podcasts and shit then? Well, you can't. You're getting behind. I, <laughs> that's, that's what yeah, no, on. that's exactly the point yeah. is that I actually can't. Yeah. Um, which is why I'm actually thinking very critically associated with where you know where I where, should actually where, invest. My yeah, time. you may have to cut back on some stuff. Yeah, I think. I mean, certainly there might be a motivation to moving this to every other week potentially. Um, and with Model Rail Radio, I think it's going to probably have to move to every three weeks. There's also potential for other things to come around. I mean, the way I've layered these podcasts, in particular, the way I drop the Biota podcasts and. For, let's be frank, the way I dropped the Stone 8 podcasts for whatever, 18 months or yeah, however long yeah. it was. I mean, you know, there are certain points of critical mass. And I think about this, when I lost my job in, well, I didn't lose my job, when the company I worked for closed in 2009, I think, I actually stopped recording podcasts until I found work again. Yeah, you've got to choose how to use your time. Yeah, it's there are actually important. things that are independent of these recordings, yeah. like my actual life. Well, you know, if we move this to every other week, I, what I might do is just uh, go on to TeamSpeak uh, on the in-between weeks and mm -hmm. have an open mic thing. And if yeah. anybody wants to yeah. come and, uh, you know, see what we can <laughs> rap about. Yeah, uh, I'd, yeah. Be, I'd be interested in doing that. You could have a fans week and a Tom week. Well, we could just, uh, you know, I was yeah. thinking about that when we missed a week, and I was thinking, you know, I mean, I'm here on Fridays anyway. I should have, I should have just gone, <laughs> yeah. you know, suggested that anyone wants to talk, see me on Teamspeak. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, look, Marie Camacho and her boyfriend can actually buy you dinner. <laughs> well, they haven't made the offer yet. Yeah, that's right. I don't really see. That's the thing is, I just really don't. I'm not interested in meeting people in Squish. You know? I mean, I, I don't see anything coming out of that that's going to make my life or their lives any better. Well, my life any better. Anyway. You might get a nice dinner out of it. I mean. uh, that's not that big a deal. You know, putting up with language monkeys uh, for an evening... Uh, of course, they may not. They may be lovely people. See, it, it's, it's just beside the point. I just, my life is very simple, and I just don't see how that's going to further any of the the business, I guess. I guess that's what it is. So, although there's only one of these things, the consciousness in the cloud talk as it exists currently looks like it might be a sustaining entity, potentially. 
I'm allow- I'm going to allow the first one to happen before I make any judgment. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Oh, so uh, I mentioned um, I've been mentioning over maybe a few of the prior recordings this notion of conscious. Oh, that class, okay. All right, yeah, I got you. I which is um, currently a single talk with yeah. with KMO Larry Yeager. And, uh, and myself. It's interesting, actually, because I've given some narrative associated with my kind of historical work with Larry and now, as you say... And what's Larry's, what's Larry's uh, deal? So I've I know a, a guy of, named Larry Yeager. It's not the same Larry Yeager. We've, we've been through this previously. Oh, okay. Never mind. My, right. <laughs> my, my, yeah, Larry Yeager that I'm talking about, I put up the audio, actually, um, the Biota audio, the two direct interviews that I did with him uh, on the... Um, Stonehead Facebook page, but my, and which in fact indicates, I mean, it's funny going through the processes that I've gone through with work over the past few weeks, because I went back in, you know, a free few minutes in an evening and listened to that audio. And it strikes me that we talk about in an abstract sense, this notion that we are not the same people from minute to minute to hour to hour to day to day. Right. Yeah. Listening to that audio is a strange <laughs> experience because I have virtually no in fact to be frank I have no recollection yeah. not just of the conversation but I have that I have knowledge that I represent in that conversation yeah. that I no longer have yeah yeah welcome to uh, senility is sitting in early yeah <laughs> listen I've lived you know my whole life has been that way I, I think I think we don't know much about how how brains should work or do work or or much of anything. I've always had a really terrible memory for certain kinds of things, really good th- for other kinds of things. Mm. Um, peculiar. I think people are quite unique and peculiar. When you really start looking at the way your brain functions, mm. it's kind of what humbling <laughs> or something. Humbling that we even exist. Yes. Yes. But it was yeah, so Larry is someone who I guess I've worked with when I say work with here, I've interviewed, communicated with, I've actually worked on his project Polyworld and integrated aspects of it into Noble Ape in a kind of 2007 to 2009 kind of time frame. But I've known of Larry's work for probably at least 15 years and been in some kind of communication with him for at least the past decade. When we met, he's now working at Google, when we met together with our wives, we haven't really had much to do with each other since. And this was six, maybe eight months ago now. Probably actually more like ten months ago. And it's interesting, actually, because my wife holds herself accountable for that. And it was really, I don't even think of that explicitly, but it was really quite disheartening to hear her say, well, maybe Larry might like me more <laughs> in the interaction that we may have. Ah, so Larry the has the hots for your wife. And no. No. <laughs> no. The funny thing is that both my wife and Larry, it's interesting actually because there was a strange dynamic there. As soon as Larry said that he was interested in Dancing with the Stars, even though my wife doesn't watch <laughs> Dancing with the Stars, and it may not be Dancing with the Stars, it may actually be So You Think You Can Dance. That yeah, okay, all right, well, yeah. One of those. Oh, what a, what a tragic yeah. difference. Excuse yeah. me. Sorry. I've got to get the brand right. My wife was able to talk to him on some level associated with that, not, I think, because she watches the show, but because maybe she, I don't know. I don't know how she has Is she a dancer? No, I don't know, actually. Because I mean, for a dancer, for a real dancer, that might be an interesting show. 
the whole memory is repressed. Yeah. <laughs> it's just <phenomenal. laughs> Anyway, but I remember Larry's wife didn't have anything to say, and my wife and Larry actually got on quite well. Yeah. Which seems strange. My wife took away from that, which is a terrible kind of gender stereotype thing. Oh, the, oh because he was nice to her, he really wanted... <laughs> no, 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 not at all. No. That she was, in contrast to Larry's wife, that my wife was a woman who talked too much. Which I just hit me minute, upside who, the head. Where did that idea, where did that come from? This is the whole nature of actually <laughs> living with another human, Heron. Oh, see, I've I've haven't done that for quite a while. <laughs> it's, no, I'm not up to that. No, I haven't got the guts for that, man. So this is this is the notion that people having the sh- a shared experience can take something completely differently away from that. Oh experience. yeah, absolutely. Well, they don't have shared. We, none of us have shared experience. Yeah, the illusion That's just of an illusion. Shared. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, it's a nice thing to talk about, but yeah. we're each in our own realities. Yeah. And it really saddened me because my wife has attributed some fundamental blame to this interaction, which I, I mean, I was there just as much as anyone else. And, you know, if Larry and I aren't communicating, I mean, I've not really thought about it in any attribution terms. It just struck me as strange that after working with him and actively looking out for him when I went to this artificial life conference, and actually the reason that we met for breakfast was because I was pinging him every other week so we could actually meet. I've not really taken any emotion away from that. And my wife feels some strong emotion that she is the causal reason that Larry and I aren't communicating anymore. Yeah, but well. she feels in that circumstance that she and Larry, through getting along and talking about various you know, things associated with this dancing show, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, was, it struck me. I mean, well, how, wait a minute, what I don't get is how is the fact that she and, and he got along okay result in you guys not talking anymore what's the connection there i mean i don't see any so any connection so there are a couple of things that come from this i i have a certain amount of i don't know professional respect slash awe for larry yeager up until meeting him okay, and he's yeah. someone who uh, yeah, is okay, kind of yeah. traversal through academia and industry and you know he worked with jim henson i mean Listen, i had that with robert anton wilson yeah i was in awe of that guy until i met him and what a yeah. fucking letdown that was <laughs> yeah. you now understand why he died alone so yes yeah so i guess from this experience i was coming to it from a different perspective and actually meeting him and also realizing you know that a number of the things associated with his moving out here was you know, not something that I'd attribute to him, basically. But it's more than that. My wife basically has um, an outwardly bubbly and engaging personality. And to feel in any way that the environment that she was put in, you know, made that an issue or that she perceived that as being an issue with this. Well, that's her issue. Yeah, you're right. That's her issue. She needs to get over that. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) my point to her was that I didn't feel that in any way. Screw uh, that anyway. If they're offended by it, the hell with them. You don't need them over anyway. (laughs) That seems to be the conclusion. Oh, Larry and I are going to do this talk together. And, I mean, I've got a lot of respect for what the guy's done, and it's going to be relevant. Well, that's a separate issue. Yeah, that, yeah. Robert, Ant- so, I still I don't have any less respect for Robert Anton Wilson and love for what he's written and how he's yeah. contributed to my life. I just don't want to hang around with him. So, was it the body odor? What was it? Tell 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 this story, Heron. Oh, it, it, 
Well, it was, um, he gave a, a workshop in Huntington Beach uh, mm-hmm. many, many moons ago. I have no idea when it was, but maybe in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I went to it along with about 40 other people. We met at a, at a you know, Masonic Lodge <laughs> in the area. The irony in that yeah. is beautiful. Well, no, hardly irony. <laughs> and uh, and um, had this big room, and there were like 40 of us, and there was this role-playing game that, you know, it was it was a workshop thing. But I really wasn't interested in the workshop. I just wanted to hang out with him, you know, and mm. and, and see what was going on. I mean, fuck the workshop. Uh, in any case, uh, he was there to do a workshop. He wasn't there to talk to me, <laughs> you know. So he was vaguely, uh, you know, like I say, I was trying to make some kind of connection with him, and uh, just it didn't work. Could not, could not connect with him. He just shut me out. Did you pay for the workshop? Yeah. Yeah. No, so that I mean, already changes the relationship immediately. Oh, yeah, I know. That's what I mean. I'm just, a, you know, I mean, he's there to do a workshop. He's not yeah. there to, to meet his soulmate, <laughs> you know. But, yeah. if, it, but if he'd been more tuned in, he might have realized there was a soulmate right in front of him. But in any case, yeah, so I was disappointed that he didn't recognize me, I guess. I guess that was it. Uh, yeah. But I can understand. Again, he's there for his reasons, his universe. Yeah, and uh, so anyway, uh, it, I was just disappointed. So, in contrast, I mean, your Terence McKenna interactions were all going to see him at talks, I guess. Yeah, right. Yeah, and we yeah. only talked once, and we exchanged a couple of emails, and uh, I mean, I didn't really have any kind of relationship with him either, really. Yeah. yeah it's interesting when they respond back in a positive light. Oh yeah. I mean, I was thinking about this. When the interview that I've just edited, or not even the interview, the conversation I had with these Reddit guys, towards the end, one of the guys, and I thought they'd want to talk about, you know, Wozniak or a number of the other folk that I've interacted with. They were particularly, one of them was particularly focused on Rushkov. And the thing that strikes me about my interaction with these people, and I've interacted with plenty of other folk who haven't responded positively, but to actually get the positive interaction back and to actually hang out with them for, you know, a couple of years and, you know, no, you know, no aspects of their lives and these kind of things, it's a strange phenomena because they have to actually, on some level, either investigate what you're doing or get what you're doing or at least think what you're doing might be slightly interesting or something like that. I mean, there needs to be something about that interaction that is mutual. And that is a very strange phenomena. In terms of that interaction, it's yeah, it's one of these things that y- you can hope for it in others, um, and just not get it. And yeah, that is a letdown. Well, it seems all you can do is just put it out exactly. and, and not expect anything in return. Yeah. And when it does look uh, bright, d- you know, don't Run be suckered. It. No, don't don't be suckered because yeah. it's like you're saying. All the people who get you get the email and they're really, oh yeah, man, I love what you're doing. Can't wait to get involved. You know, and then <laughs> six months later, yeah, I love what you're doing, man. Yes. <laughs> you yes. Um, yes. And after you've, I, you know. I, yeah, that's finding again. Finding the right people is the whole game. Yeah, you know, and they're not easy to find. I haven't found <laughs> very many. <laughs> it's interesting associated with 
my working relationship with Anita, and I'm finding that I'm very mindful. For example, when I employ, if I employ someone to edit podcasts, for example, they are going to... So, so one of the artists that contacted me, this is interesting, actually with the group of the Anita period, was a fellow who was a fan of Noble Ape. And, um, or at least he'd listened to some audio or he'd done some, you know, he had some historical background interest yeah. and he had, he knew of some of the obscure interviews that I'd done on it. So, I mean, he knew a bit about Noble Ape. He actually came through at the same time as Anita and he just really couldn't draw. And it was one of those interesting situations because you do get the initial positivity of, yeah, you have an interest in Noble Ape. And I said, you know, this potential spin-off that leads into Noble Ape-related stuff with this work too. So, you know, it would be yeah. great work with it. But, yeah, when you pay someone, it is a different... And this is the okay. notion of the volunteer relationship as well, is they're completely different relationships. Absolutely different, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, and knowing the difference, and knowing what kinds of functions, you know, should be delegated to those two, and or maybe even other possibilities, mm. uh, is not easy. You have no delegation in a volunteer effort. I mean, you can try. Oh yeah, you do. Oh hell you can yes, try. you can. Oh, you, you can, can do it. Uh, the Est organization proved that. Hmm. Mm, interesting. But you need people who are committed. You need people that you who will actually do what they say they're going to do. You have to put them through the fucking S training first. Well, so the interesting part <laughs> here is in 2006, actually, when I started recording podcasts associated with Noble Ape, it was put to me, I think, by Gerald Dion, potentially someone else, actually. I don't want to attribute everything to Gerald. That, um, <laughs> that my relatively... I don't know. My, my, my views associated with um, what I will call fundamentalist atheism were really quite curious in the artificial life community. And the point I made to the person at the time was that one of my primary contributors, in fact, actually one of the primary contributors was a Hindu, and one of the primary contributors at the time was a Christian. <laughs> and it, this fellow was advocating, independent of these people's work, volunteer work, that I should not accept their work because of their religious beliefs. Yeah. Which I thought was really curious. And I used this actually as a counterexample that, yeah. you know, the, the, the nature you of You obviously right, don't get it, do you? <laughs> S training. If you've got you, some. You would offer them some assistance, though, to see through their delusion. I mean, no, if, if they're in, well, I mean, not, it's, it's no. completely a different. It's a completely oh, that's right. You're a capitalist. You don't give a shit about anything beyond whether or not you can make a buck at it. No, not at all. <laughs> I'm not making a buck through no blade, Heron. You're not getting either. You're not getting my point, or no, you're just doing something in jest to no, try. And no, be funny I, no, I'm, I'm. Anyway, I'm, I was off topic. Actually, anyway, my point here is that the S training. I mean, I've, I've thought about this whole S-training thing. We've talked about it periodically. And I've wondered whether actually getting... This is the notion of Stone Ape as the virus as well. That maybe what we're doing through these conversations, maybe what I do through putting out stuff associated with Nopalate, is actually more akin to S-training than I've wanted to acknowledge previously. And maybe I should actually think On about... On some level, that... Yeah. That, yeah, I think that I think that's true. I think the ideas that we're talking about here are um, dangerous to a lot of people, really. Yeah, 
Actually, that that you know, all, with all the revelations lately about how the NSA is listening to everything, mm. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking I must be, or you and I both must be way the hell up on that list if that housewife got nailed for the pressure cooker, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, shit, what have they got on us? <laughs> oh man, or me anyway. I've uh, yeah. Know. I mean, I, I but you're guilty by association. You're hanging out with me, so you must be fucking crazy. I do. I mean, I do wonder about this. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I mean, there are things that I have to do. Well, that was position, what Joe like, the drummer was talking about yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. But I see. I I just don't care. See, I, I guess that's just part of being old. That helps. Mm. I never thought I'd live this long. I can't. You know, this is just all like. Free time, <laughs> you know. Yes, it is an interesting topic which I wanted to actually explore. What I'm going to do is I I actually have the recording literally physically surrounding me, and I've run out of water. So why don't you go get a your wine glass refilled, and I'll go get my water. It'll take me about fifty okay, seconds. Okay, and to I'm do gonna this. I'm gonna hang up. In, yeah, in, let's hang in, up, and I'll in, I'll we'll just communicate by text, and I'll okay, call you. All right. Okay. Okay. So, let me just say again, I really like this wine. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's so unlike alcohol. It's mm. just this light, fruity. Tasty stuff, man. It's great stuff. Love it. Very good. Okay. For whatever reason, and I think perhaps also adding to this was the article that I posted on the Stone Ape page associated with the fellow in San Diego who got 4.1 million, I think. Yeah. Associated with being locked in a cell for uh, five I, days. I do that every week. Well, Friday, the, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, I, I'm locked in my cell. You're not handcuffed, and your cell. Oh is no, I'm not handcuffed. Bigger. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, and I got the internet. That helps. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you have fluids and way to expel fluids and things like that. I mean, there are things around you that are slightly. Ah, okay. All right. I got it. There's a. You're right. You're right. I agree. That sucks. For, yes. But still, for four days, for four million or five days, five oh five days. Well, screw it, man. Yeah, never mind. I don't know. I mean, I think it's in the bounds where he could have died. So my view is e- that easily without water. Yeah. yeah, if he had any certain kinds of medical conditions, yeah, he could have died. Yeah, but he didn't. He didn't. The notion of isolation, and in particular, I mean, you know, obviously we joke about the NSA. Maybe we don't. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, yeah, we better. <laughs> yeah, let's joke about the NSA. But the only thing... Not, nothing serious, folks. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing that really concerns me is the notion of being held for long periods of time in isolation. And I've had some experiences. I, was, I, mean, I've not told, I don't think I've told this story. But when I was probably, I would have been maybe 13 or 14, it was the last day of school and most of the people weren't there and I was locked in a book room for nine hours. 
a book room, yes. mean, meaning dimensions It was being... um, nine feet by six feet, um, all walls covered with books except for an entry door. Yeah, okay. Uh, and basically that was... Were the lights on or, or off? There was a window, uh-huh. uh, but there was a window, a high window. Okay. Uh, I could have turned the lights on as well. I didn't because I was getting illumination from the window. Yeah. Although it was, it was. Were there early any good summer. books in there? <laughs> yeah, I went through a few books. Yeah, I mean, really, there isn't much else to do once you've yelled and screamed. Yeah, you know? and once you realised actually that you're pretty well sound isolated too. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had contemplated actually climbing out the window, which would have put me on the roof. Uh, that would have been interesting. Actually, I don't think there was any way that I could have climbed up to the window. Um, I think the bookshelves wouldn't have actually, didn't actually, but I, this is again. Could have destroyed and reconstructed the room. <laughs> yeah, I could have, no, I could have actually, I could have actually built a set of stairs out of the books. Yeah, right. And done yeah. a variety of things. Yeah, yeah. The interesting thing associated with that experience was that I realized that physically I could tolerate a certain amount of isolation and physical discomfort. I yeah. didn't. Over that period of time, you know, I, th- there was no bodily fluids or waste. Um, yeah, yeah, through that. yeah. It wasn't. Yeah, yeah that's a problem. That obviously, yes. Yeah. I mean, th- that's a completely separate issue. I mean, that yeah. that's torture. Yeah. You know, but isolation in itself isn't necessarily. In fact, many people seek it. Well, it's interesting actually because seeking isolation and being put in isolation are two different well, things. Yeah. Quite yeah. fundamentally. Oh, absolutely. But yes. More importantly, the access to natural light and the lack of access to natural light in a majority of, well, of a series of U.S. institutions makes the only meaningful fear, and I think perhaps it might be overemphasized associated with the stuff that I've read about that, is the potential for kind of long-term isolation. And irrespective of you know, long-term isolation. But when you're also. saying, you're talking about without toilets and stuff and showers or just saying isolation? Just So most most of the isolation, I mean, for long-term prisoners, they call it SHU, which is the um, solitary confinement, um, you know, methodology within the prison system. They always have toilets there, but you may not have access to running water aside from the toilet. In fact, my understanding is potentially that the toilet may be a dry toilet too. So you are in, and actually, this country has very interesting definitions with regards to torture. (laughs) Yeah, really. (laughs) So the circumstances, you always have light on or you always have light off. You um, are typically very cold through this. Yeah, you know, that's all, yeah, that's that's all torture, I agree. Yeah. Isolation is is a completely separate issue, though. And and unfortunately, you're right, we use it as a form of torture. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my my view is that isolation for more than 10 years, and a number of prisoners wow. in California's system have been in isolation for more than 10 years, is really a very striking yeah. phenomenon. Well, that should be a very, very special case. Yeah. You know, I, I can't imagine that there's oh, no. a lot oh, of no. that, is there? Oh, no. No, that's actually, it's associated with the commercial prison system. Okay. It's actually All really right. interesting how, how the uh, capacity of these. Yeah, okay, no, listen, no, listen. No. Yeah. yeah, okay, I, I got it. So, <laughs> so I But think- this, this whole argument just gets dismissed as capitalism. 
Well, okay, so it's pathetic. Thing, this that's yeah. that system is is dangerous and well, what can I say? There's no <laughs> justification for that except they can make a buck doing it. Yeah, it's so much more than that, though. <laughs> well, yeah, there's there's all yeah, but the rest of that shit is language monkey stuff. That's what I'm saying. Is this is it's devotion to money. It's to, to old ideals and living the you know they're they're still living in the caterpillar. Yeah, I mean it's not that they're evil people necessarily. I mean they aren't. They're just doing what's what's the appropriate thing to do, given the set of assumptions that they live with. Yes, the phenomena associated with it's interesting actually because certainly there is a narrative associated with the NSA. That says, oh, wow, this is all new information. But actually, I mean, I've used the example, perhaps not here, associated with the Clipper encryption chip. But as of probably at least the past, what, 20, 25 years, maybe? It's been pretty common knowledge in even, you know, basic computing circles that they had both the means and the interest in gathering this kind of data. And it's interesting, actually, when I talk but to But I don't KMO, think they had a way to analyze it. Oh, so this time, is the, the, whole, the whole notion of the clipper chip indicated that they did have, and this was, what, 91? Mm -hmm. They did have a means of actually analyzing it. <laughs> it's interesting, actually, because when I was talking to KMO, he made the distinction, which I think is very, very strange, that the distinction between Obama and Bush is that Obama gets warrants for this, whereas Bush didn't. And certainly none of the information I've heard seems to indicate that there's any, aside from the fact that Obama has actually extended this program, um, that there is any meaningful distinction between any politician on this subject. It is very, very curious, though, because I certainly don't feel that this is new information. It's interesting that it's, it's not being about by the what's media. new is that it's everybody's talking about it. That's yeah, that's new. the interesting phenomenon. Yeah, well, that's a, that, that's a big deal. Yeah. At least I think that is. I think that the question is whether by next week, you know, some movie star will die and yeah. and then everyone will forget this and yeah. and go back to, or there'll be a new season of Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. Somali Pirates. Yeah. Like there you go. Oh, yeah. that'll be a good one. I can't wait for that one. Yeah. Yeah, the Somali Pirates regularly pop up when needed. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a Keep them entertained, man. Exactly. Keep them busy. Keep shifting yeah. the targets. First it's yeah. this, now it's that. Oh, look over here. Yeah. Well, see, but that that only works if people keep looking. So, if the that's all they got, yeah. they're in trouble. You know who Daniel Ellsberg is, sure, right? Well, I mean, I, I've never met him. Yeah, but you know who he is. <laughs> yeah, I know what he did. Certainly, and. It's an interesting phenomena associated with the whistleblower. Or, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I have an interesting series of ethical concerns with Ellsberg, to a certain extent Manning, and to a certain extent Snowden. And I think, basically, this is interesting, actually, because it also affects my own mother. When you have people who are part of the intelligence community whatever that thing is, they have ultimately, in entering that community, 
made a deal with the devil, to use some very funny linguistic terminology. Yeah, yeah. But in the case of Ellsberg, and to a certain extent in the case of Manning, and to perhaps a lesser extent in the case of Snowden, these people were actively participating in the... Yeah, they'd already signed on. Exactly. Yeah. And it's interesting, actually. I find Apparently, El- their claim, though, is they didn't know what they were signing on to. Ellsberg knew everything that he was oh. signing on to. Oh, okay. He, knew, he because, just had a change of heart then? Or yes. What? Okay. Yeah. He, he, yeah. He, the policies that he penned. Okay. He probably were, took some LSD. Somewhere. Yeah, no, no, no. It was with a woman. It was actually with a, <laughs> yeah, it was a woman. Aaron. Okay. Well, sex, <laughs> drugs, and rock and roll, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's what it takes. Yeah, so it, it's interesting, actually, because in order to be a whistleblower in these circumstances, you already have needed to have crossed a kind of curious path. And then uh, in Ellsberg in particular, and I mean, you know, um, Assange has this as well, has a very interesting view associated with what his information did. I mean, what the power of the information release was. And what it did in terms of reducing, in Ellsberg's claim, the length of time of the Vietnam conflict. Mm -hmm. Which I think is an interesting claim. And I think in particular in the case of Manning and Snowden, there, you know, the the evidence is that, I mean, I've, I've asserted that the stuff that Manning released in large part contradicted, in the case of Fallujah at least, the humanitarian effort. In fact, the US military's numbers associated with civilian casualties have never been particularly good. (laughs) So it's kind of They're all just a... (laughs) Yeah, a mass of flesh. But it is kind of curious that these incidents are, you know, treated in the way that they're treated. And yeah, I, I, there seem to be many levels to this thing that just don't seem to be being discussed. No, I don't think it's even worth discussing. It's it's just monkey business, you know. It's it's just the same old bullshit. People operating on the old assumptions they've been operating on for thousands of years, totally entranced by the voice in their head. Yes, it's unworkable. If these actions have no demonstrable effect. So in the case of Manning, there's really good cause to believe, which in and of itself is quite distressing, mm-hmm. that um, Egypt, Libya, uh, you know, the, the surrounding countries, Syria probably, the population needed to have aspects of the information that were released to really understand how deeply entrenched their particular governments were. Mm-hmm. With, in some cases, what was claimed... Oh, they're, they're claiming of, that Manning stuff caused the revolution well, this in is, Libya? This, <laughs> this is the... No, this is, this is what Assange says. Yeah, well, okay. So, it is interesting, <laughs> the, the claim associated with how important these things are. Well, they, you know, who knows... Again, you can make lots of different stories from the same yeah. facts. Which one is the true story? Yeah. It's tough. Tough to, to to know what really happens. Yes. Or but why. it is an interesting. It is. <laughs> it's not even really a modern phenomenon because obviously of Ellsberg. Um, but yeah, it is. It is an interesting phenomenon. 
And I think actually the response, a question which comes up occasionally, maybe not in our discussions, it did come up in the KMO discussions, or it does come up occasionally through the people that I find in Squish, is what the, in the case of the folks I meet in Squish, what the technological response is, particularly because no one I've met through, you know, the my The technological work. response to what? Well, is... Is it news that the government spies to the extent that has come up through the NSA? Or is it just basically, which is really the critique associated with Egypt, Syria, et al., that really the people in these countries could have self-motivated these circumstances? Um, so maybe it's just that little bit of extra justificational push. Yeah. Well, you can't – again, it's, it's, it's useful to, to use all the maps, to understand all the different ways of looking at it. Uh, yeah. And again, the idea that there's one map that's the truth is uh, just part of our brain damage. Yes. You know, all we can do is do as many analyses as we can and then try to figure out what the hell's going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the world is just in going through some real interesting stuff, isn't it? Yes. I found myself last night, and this is actually a topic that I kind of fall into somehow, but I found myself last night watching a documentary associated with the JFK assassination, which I think is interesting as a phenomena because it is um, such a rich still to this day, such a rich topic of discussion associated with a variety of quite curious, you know, anecdotes. And it is actually, it's this notion that we've touched on periodically associated with genocide as well. Like in the death of a human, you end up with an inevitability that actually kind of makes the narrative surrounding that considerably more interesting, particularly when there is such a diversity of narratives associated <laughs> with the events. Mm. So as my wife and Larry Yeager and Larry Yeager's wife and I can get together and have a discussion associated with Dancing with the Stars that has vastly different interpretations, things like the Kennedy assassination still seem to uh, you know, maintain the same kind of paradoxes, except obviously they're making documentaries about that as opposed mm. to My Breakfast with Larry. It is an interesting phenomenon, though. I can't imagine how, how that, what it would take to to actually resolve that situation to just about everybody's satisfaction. I don't think it, it's possible. It, no, I don't think it is either. I think we are stuck with a million perspectives and ideas and theories and you know and facts or sort of facts or maybe somebody heard they were really facts and. <laughs> You know, who, I just think, fuck it. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. The thing that struck me, and this was leading up to midnight, was that of the conspiracy elements, I knew all of them in advance. Which in large part is because I consume the, you know, I've consumed the genre periodically. Yeah. Um, just because it's there, I guess. Yeah, yeah. it's part of, yeah, if you're going to survey yeah. the world, that's that's out there. I also think, you know, like p- the people that lifted the coffin at various points and the various people that, you know, touch the body and all these kind of things are such um, 
like universal American characters and their various descriptions. Like this, yeah, they are like universal American, like they are archetypes in and of themselves <laughs> as well, which kind of pushes on the interesting narrative element. Are you familiar with the um, Seven Up series in the UK? No. It's like a documentary where they take they took in 1964, I think maybe 1965, seven year old children, and then oh, they okay, them yeah, every yeah, seven years. okay, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I haven't seen it, but I've yeah. heard of it. I've looked yeah. for it, but was unable to locate it oh, for some reason. Okay, it's pretty omnipresent on Netflix, and I think you can probably find other sources for it as well. Oh, but oh, having said that, it's I've called watched, Seven Up, right? No, it's now called ah. Fifty Six Up. 56 up, okay. When it was previously called 49. Oh, okay, well, the, all, well, all of them are available up. as separate things, or yeah. are they just adding it? I mean, you watch so 56 if you, if you, and you, if you see the If whole you watch thing. 56 up, you see the whole thing. Oh, okay, all right. The thing, yeah. Well, you don't see the whole thing. You see basically what they've selected from the previous okay. ones, that, yeah. Yeah, plus a new block yeah, of information okay. associated. So what do you recommend that I do? That's an interesting question. You would be very, very bored if you watched them in following series. I think you just go to 56 up. Yeah. Just, the problem yeah. is that you don't have... You see, I've been watching them since 28 up. Ah. So I have a long-standing connection. Oh, yeah, yeah, people, sure. Hell yes. <laughs> which is particularly curious. It's a phenomenon associated with the form, and it is a relatively unique form. It has been tried to be copied in yeah, the U.S. Yeah, they break your heart, man, that you, they let you down. No, no, no. It's interesting, well, actually. It, 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 actually, it, reality is simulation. This really confirms... So the, the filmmaker who created it, um, who's now, I think, in his 70s, was very much he takes people from various classes in the UK so it's all class based in terms uh, of you know are these people okay. able to move up their class or do they move down their class oh, you know okay. are the people who were you know um you know various preparatory schools you know it's very interesting in that light huh. because what it actually shows is that there is no connection between <laughs> class and happiness yeah yeah, the, the, actually, that's not true. That's not true. There's a proportional collection between class and happiness, but people can move in either direction based on uh, either random events or events that they pick through their lives. And it is it is a very interesting phenomenon. The main frustration I have with it as a form is that the participants in it talk about it as a form as well. How could it's, they not? Well. Because basically, they're not naive. Well, it's just Shit, I they, wonder, they see more of it as a technique than you do. Shit, they live with the fucking thing. Yeah, no, no, without question, <laughs> without question. But I guess my view is that by the time you're at fifty-six up, the notion of the film as a phenomenon, particularly because they're incredibly famous in the UK. Uh huh. You know, the question is: Are they conscious? Or are they just language monkeys who ended up in a cool place? The interesting thing that I find through it is the kind of pervasive political narrative that comes through it as well. <laughs> and what you find is that actually, irrespective of class, there is a certain percentage of the population that is um, independently savvy. Like, they basically will do external reading and, you know... What percentage would you say that is? Well, it's particularly high in this form 
But I think also being a participant in this thing probably actively affects you in this light as well. Yeah. Because I, that's, I mean, that's a fundamental thing is that there's some of us actually study and go out and seek new information and read up on it. And, and, yeah. And that's a, that right there is a tiny percentage of the total population. Yeah. It's got to be less than 5%. Or, yeah. or what do you think? I think it's a higher percentage in the UK. Yeah, okay. What do you think it is here? Uh, too generous at 5%. How high do you think it is in the UK? I have no means of surveying either locations in any meaningful sense. Neither do I. I'm just making this shit up. My great frustration when I find people in the wild is that they don't acknowledge the fact that they themselves, and I probably am too, although I try to be slightly more chaotic, are actually following a kind of, you know, so, some, as you say, I mean, you would, you would say, you know, language monkey, I would say narrative. Yeah, they got a um, story. Exactly. They come, everybody's got a story they yeah. got. <laughs> and to think outside the story, to actually acknowledge it as a story and then perhaps disregard aspects of it, I guess yeah. this is my frustration living this philosophically even prior to our interaction was that I couldn't explain to my family. I tried desperately, Uh, and they just thought I was angry and disenchanted. (laughs) Well, you were angry and disenchanted, (laughs) but but with good cause. So, (laughs) following our discussion last recording and the recording before, I called my mother to talk with her about her life. Um, And she, she talked about her mother, who's still alive. Wow. And she said of her mother, she really doesn't like me. Um, she really doesn't like my mother. And I said, well, she hasn't had a lot of kind words to say about me either. And my mother said, just the way she does, well, she is very critical associated with the way people look. <laughs> and Yes, I that's said, that's exactly the point. Yes, you got it. <laughs> and I said, yes, that's why I joke about that in her presence. Because my view is... So you've been egging her on all this. Like, you're getting just what you deserve. You're a troublemaker. Yeah, you're you're making faces at her, right? Well, no, I'm not <laughs> her. That's not the point. The point about it is that when she makes comments along those lights, I typically turn it into a joke. Yeah. And pass it back to her with extra relish. You know? Yeah. So my, now my view is that yes, it's an interesting phenomenon because once you do that kind of acknowledgement, once you actually appreciate the notion that people are just playing into a narrative, and then you try to ad lib around that, or as you have done through your own means, you just avoid people. I, I unless, take- well, unless the circumstances are the kinds you want to put up with. It's just about being at choice with it. Really. Yeah. You know, there are times I, I did go to a public thing a couple of days ago. Oh, how was it? Uh, it's, uh, would you really want to stop talking about what we're talking about and go into that? Uh, I don't think, I think we've kind of formed a natural conclusion here. Well, I mean, actually, I, well, listen, I don't even know what the hell we're talking about, so... <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for anything. So, so, so tell me, this is the Japanese restaurant thing. No, right? no, no. This was a, a different thing. Okay. This was um, a thing called the Open School, mm-hmm. uh, and 
it's four, well, three women and a guy mm-hmm. who are intent on building a, a school based on, are you familiar with Summerhill? Tell me about Summerhill. Uh, A.S. Neal, Summerhill School in England. Tell me about it. Well, there's not much I can tell you about it. It was a, at the time, well, even still, a sort of radical theory mm-hmm. of childhood education and rearing where people are sort of free to do whatever the fuck they want or not Mm. (laughs) and and anyway um but there's been many permutations on this since then anyway these people are putting together this school and uh they're stirring up you know public interest they've got their website and they're having uh meetup groups and talking to other teachers and uh potential parents and and so a couple of years ago a yeah. couple of years ago, you were talking about a learning community. Mm-hmm. Is this yeah. the same group? Oh, or no, some no, other no, group, no, this is just, no, no, this is just, uh, like I said, I get a lot of meetup things uh, yeah. in email from, you know, new groups and things based interesting. on Interesting. You know, so, I mean, most of them I don't pay any attention to, but once in a while I see something that looks kind of interesting, and, and basically <laughs> these were a group of homeschoolers. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of the people were homeschoolers. And other people who are really open to a radical new vision of education. Mm. So I, I just wanted to be there and pass out my card and make a connection. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to do a conversation with Cassie is her name. She's the one who really started the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I may, you know, who knows, a year from now, maybe I'll have edited that one and... <laughs> Yes. So, what what are their primary? I mean, uh, clearly, you and I have wrapped yeah. ad nauseum associated with the education system. Yeah. But from your interactions with these folk in Squish, what are their primary motivations? Who they? You mean the people who came to attend it, or the people who put it on? The, the people. Let's start with the people school. who put it on. Okay, the open school thing. Mm-hmm. They want to create a school where mm-hmm. they will have between a hundred and fifty and three hundred students, but. Hopefully, they want to keep it around 150, and uh, that would require 10 uh, cowboys, <laughs> somebody to wrangle them. <laughs> and and it's a, an open, adjustable space so that it can be reconfigured. It's highly mm-hmm. connected to the web. Every child uh, will have you know some device that uh, connects them to the Internet. Mm-hmm. And it should be indoor, outdoor. There should be... You know. Anyway, there's a whole bunch of stuff, and and it's a very self-directed thing. There are no grades. There are no mm-hmm. uh, anything, and there are no grades uh, in the sense that uh, you know six-year-olds may be with sixteen-year-olds. Mm. Uh, it's so it's not arranged by subject. It's you know, it, well, I, and I don't want to go into. You'd really have to actually, if you're interested, the book is called Summerhill, and it's by a guy named A. S. Neal. It was written in the 1940s, I think. Mm. And uh, the name A.S. Neal sounds familiar to me. Yeah, it does to me too. For other reasons, I'm thinking, wait, is this the same A.S. Neal or not? I'm not sure. I'm sure the book is is called Summerhill, okay. and, and maybe I'm wrong on the author, but I I think okay. that's right. So I have, a, I have a few questions associated with the folks that organize this this talk. Yeah. Are they planning on setting up a charter school, which means that they no, get no, 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 no. So no, it's removed from no, that. No, this is completely independent. Okay. Yeah. Well, some of the charter schools are independent as well. Well, it's no, this curious. is no, this is not funded. It won't be looking for state funding or anything. Okay. Yeah. The people that organized it are teachers that are currently working in the private system or the public system uh, or both. 
in some cases, neither. In uh, okay. one case, yes. Uh, in one case, one used to, mm-hmm. and uh, one never has, but mm-hmm. has children, and wants their children, you know, they, oh, yeah. cares about education, wants to be involved. Her, How many and her background attended? is accounting. Okay. How many people attended? Oh, uh, there were 25 people, probably. Okay. And did you get a sense through the questions and the interaction what those 25 people, 25 people including the speakers or 25 people excluding the speakers? Oh, I don't know. Okay, around that. Yeah, I yeah. To- there were a total of 20, 25 people. So okay. Maybe so I'm making it sound bigger than it really was. Maybe it was only 15. I'm, okay, I'm, so in terms, of the, in terms of the questions, did you get a sense of the folks who were also attending? Mm-hmm. Um, well, just not very much, really. I mean, you can you can form opinions. The first guy mm-hmm. I met was a a guy who shit. Now I've already forgotten what he did, but he was there with his pregnant wife uh-huh. and his uh, two year old daughter, who was uh-huh. a real cutie, uh-huh. and uh, and he's interested in uh, his children getting you know something other than the programming that the mm. public school system dishes out mm-hmm. so that was why he was there mm. and there was uh, there were a couple of mothers who were there you know or prospective mothers and um a couple of educators yeah interesting so when you attend these things because you're you may be in the remit i guess of an educator but you're more, you represent the kind of concerned society element to this because you don't have children and you're not a traditional educator. So your role here is to... Is to deal with study. the language machines of, yes. of the next generations of children. Oh, okay. So this is interesting. So you feel your role is primarily as an educator in these circumstances? Well, it's one way. I don't want to deal with the kids myself. I want to deal with the people who are teaching the kids. So one of the topics I wanted to raise this week was the effect of a crying child. <laughs> because I've, I have a very, I'm very sensitive to crying children. Yeah, I want to kill them. I don't necessarily want to. Well, kill no, it's them, not kill. I, I just want to end it. I just don't want to hear that anymore. That's all. I, I just, wondered I'm, about this anything. with you. Oh yeah, clearly. Yeah. It, it is a fun. It is. It, I wonder if it's a genetic. Oh, it is. I think it's yeah. part of our species. It's just yeah. you know, it's part of our. It's part of my brain damage and my monkey business. You yeah. know, it, this goes way back. You know. In terms of... Not everybody feels that, though. No, you know, exactly. Some of us do, and yeah. it's good to realize that uh, you should not put yourself in a situation where that's going to get called forth. <laughs> yeah. Did it... I guess it's difficult to ask whether it explicitly or implicitly, but was it a factor associated with your son? Well, I knew I didn't want to be there. And I was certainly not acting in a way. I mean, I wasn't torturing him or anything. But, certainly. But uh, I was not acting. You know, I didn't want to be there. Yeah. And it was that. That was that was really. That was God. What a, it's hard to imagine even surviving that time. Maybe I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I did. <laughs> my wife has noted that my reaction to a crying child is so, maybe visceral is not the term I want to use, 
my response no, vicious no but it, well, it's so it's so um I think in large part it actually comes through my experiences with my brothers, perhaps. Well, what doesn't make any I don't know where it you know, comes she's, from. She hears the yeah. baby crying, and, and her heart just opens up, and she just feels this wonderful warmth spreading over her to go and cuddle the poor little thing. And I want to just, you know, throw it over the fence. You see, no, it's interesting, actually, because my <laughs> response is is actually somewhere between that, but basically relates to the fact that there is no excusable reason why a parent should allow a child to cry for, you know, a, le- a length of time. We went, yeah. we came back from going to Carmel, and for whatever reason, actually, it's because we were going to go and get the home movie DVDs, in some far-flung listen, corner of the listen, listen, man, your shoulds for what parents have to do, imagine imagine what it's like I can, to this be is a exactly parent. My point. You know, yeah. of course they're fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> and Sleep what they're doing, pride. everything yeah. about it is fucked yeah. up and toxic to their children and to themselves, yeah. and the whole thing is just pathetic. Yeah. You're absolutely right. <laughs> so? And that's how we all grew up. <laughs> Well, except it's interesting because the the sound and the reaction to the sound is something, and I've heard about this. I mean, obviously, the dog documentary had aspects of this as well. So, here with dogs making noises of crying children, mm. you know, frequencies, what have you. But it does really seriously affect me. Yeah. And I wonder if it affects more men than women. Because it would be really, it would be the kind of genetic difference. Oh, I think it is. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I've ever even heard. Well, I mean, I would think it'd be extremely rare. I think women are sort of programmed to cuddle it. Yeah. That 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 part of their basic mammalian inheritance is to go to it and comfort it. Yeah. And we just want to get away from it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just get me out of here. No, Stop my, I that guess thing. that's that's not my point in particular, if it was a child that I could have some effect over. But it is something that concerns me with regards to my own father, because my own father had no, and again, your response associated with that reaction is very much my own father's reaction associated with a crying child. Yeah. And I know that he got it from, you know, I mean, his father had a similar reaction. Well, some of us just should probably not be involved in that situation. You know, Mm. it's just not not everybody is cut out for all these things. It doesn't mean mm. we don't. It doesn't mean I don't care about children. That I don't like children mm. or anything. I just, you know, didn't want to be around crying babies. Yes. So your role associated with these various alternative education groups is actually to study the teachers or the potential teachers. Well, really, it's to make connections. It's just to meet Mm -hmm. people who are actually interested. I mean... Who are actually thinking along these lines, or at least starting to. Yeah, I mean, this is the best place to find them. And there were several people there who were quite serious about doing something about education. Mm. You know, and in fact, I mean, they've got an architect, they've got a, uh, they've got a city planner that's donating time to, you know, to find real estate for them. They've got a fifteen million dollar budget. That's I mean, they don't, they don't have the money. Well, they don't have all the money yet. They're oh, still they're raising. No, I mean, right. but I mean, they got, they got the people. They've got all the pieces in place. All they need is the money. 
they've got Gosh, don't we all have all the pieces of pieces no pieces no of no they don't that's that's the difference that's the distinction okay. that's the distinction okay and i don't know if they have all the pieces in place but they made a good presentation and again for me the main thing is they're serious yes and if this doesn't work i don't really give a shit I mean, if it does, cool. <laughs> you know, maybe yeah. I can be part of it somehow. And yeah. if not, I- I've met a couple of people who are seriously interested in this stuff, who, yeah. who, who could become my allies. And when you say that you get meetup emails, is it through meetup.com or is it yeah. through... Yeah, interesting. That's how Conscious in the Cloud came together. Yeah. Was that I put in a certain number of keywords associated with my group that ticked a wide variety of people's boxes. <laughs> it's a phenomenon. Yeah. It really yeah. Is. yeah. Yeah. It's made me think that I should do more of my life through something like Meetup. Um, yeah. It's a, I don't think it's been fully exploited yet. I mean, it's been exploited in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Uh, there are completely electronic meetups now, in addition yeah. to physical meetups. Yeah. And, um, it, it does. I mean, my only concern associated with doing it through meetup.com is a number of the people that have have confirmed have RSVP'd clearly have their own particular angles. I mean, I guess everyone has their angles. Well, sure, we all do. That's yeah. part. Of, that's part of why I go there. I'm meeting people who do have. I don't want anybody who doesn't have any angle at all. I mean, yes. you know, they don't know shit. They haven't even yeah. looked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I want to meet the people who've got angles and see if their angles mesh with some of mine. Hmm. Yes. Interesting. Interesting. So you're going to be attending another one of these things, I'm assuming. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm probably going to have a conversation with uh, Cassie, is her mm-hmm. name, and um, and I don't know. I gave her my card and, and I gave her the a two minute speech about language and unconscious assumptions, and she seemed to understand what I was talking about, and told her I wanted to have a conversation with her for my podcast. Mm-hmm. I gave her my card, mm-hmm. and she seemed amenable. That was. Uh, Two nights ago, I haven't heard from her yet. We'll see. Interesting. Hmm. Very good, Heron. Very good. So your your previous threshold was after two meetings, developer. It sounds like you're not even necessarily pursuing it in terms of meetings. You just want to kind of sow seeds. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm just out there to meet people. Yeah. I mean, that's the only reason to go there, as far as I can see. Yeah. That's again. That's that's always been the the bottleneck for me throughout my life. I mean, people don't do what they say they're going to do. They don't even know what the fuck you know they're talking about. Most of them, most of the time. Yeah. You know, it's just uh, not the kind of people I'm interested in hanging around with. But if I can find people, like I say, putting together the, that keyboard thing, it, it took a long time. But once we mm. got the the right people together, it worked great. You know? Yes. Yeah. I have a couple more topics, Heron, but I'm actually feeling a little under the weather, which may have motivated some of the discussion that we've had. Uh-huh. Do you have any topic that you want to throw out there? Um, no, not really. Okay. Okay. I may call it a night. I know I'm completely ruining a potential to go to 1 a.m. this evening. No, but, that's right. Uh, Listen, that's okay. Don't worry about <laughs> it. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Well, Heron, it's been a pleasure as always, and I will I, I put it out once again to the listeners that um, although we've been blessed with Joe the Drummer's uh, topics this evening and a little bit of extra stuff from Marie Camacho and her boyfriend, 
Does her wonderful. boyfriend have a name? Yes, his name is Justin. Okay. It's wonderful to hear from listeners, and really in terms of the stuff that I'm talking about currently associated with my time and just working out where I I should put my energy, this is in particular a good week for folks to get in contact with me, particularly if I haven't heard from you previously, just to let me know what you actually get out of this Stone Ape thing, and I'll be sure to... uh, to talk about your uh, personal life in the podcast. As I think <laughs> uh, so, yeah, feel free to get in contact with me and I'll r- let Heron know that you're listening as well. And if you have questions and topics and these kind of things, it's always positive. My recollection, I haven't checked this particular podcast, but when I started, restarted our conversation uh, a few months ago, there were roughly more than a thousand, actually, unique IPs showing up downloading what we had to offer. So, you know, we hear from a very small fraction of those folk. And I'm really very interested in hearing from folk. Just just ping me. Anything. Tom at noble8.com. Just send me an email saying, I listen, thumbs up. I listen, thumbs down. You know, anything. <laughs> anything is better than nothing in these circumstances. Because, yes, I would dearly like to hear from listeners. And Joe the Drummer has gotten on Twitter. He started... I've, uh, look, I really need to plug Joe the Drummer associated with what he's done. He started a Reddit group associated with the Stone Ape podcast. He will not touch Facebook. We didn't convince him with our <laughs> singlemuslim.com ads. Uh, too bad. However, he has, going for the younger folk, going for the next generation, he has well, started, Facebook for old folks now? Apparently so. Ah, Reddit's where it's okay. at. Right? Ah, okay. I missed that. So, yeah, I did too. Well, I would, I guess. Yeah. yeah, me too. So, anyway, Joe the Drummer has started a Reddit group associated with the Stone Ape podcast, and he is currently flinging in any information he can get that may be in any way related. In fact, really, honestly, I probably should spend more time on the Reddit group so I can <laughs> send them more questions. Joe the Drummer is just basically telling me to refocus my efforts slightly away from Facebook. And he hasn't been... I was hoping he would post some stuff on Twitter um, through the week as well, since he's picked up Twitter. Um, but he obviously hasn't read the NSA stuff associated with Twitter, but anyway, moving on from that. <laughs> Joe the Drummer, keep doing what you're doing. Other folks, Marie Camacho, uh, Justin, keep doing what you're doing. An interesting point here. Uh, Marie, through her correspondence, said that she was going out of her way to find... Swag and other items associated with our individual and kind of collective work. And I, well, she wanted to find um, T-shirts and evening wear in particular. If folks who listen to this podcast are interested in any items, uh, I've got a series of books that I still have on the Facebook group. Uh, Heron, you were going to email me which of those you wanted, and Joe the Drummer has also emailed me on a group uh, of them. Apparently, I don't want them all that bad. So. Yeah, apparently, no one wants them all that bad. <laughs> but with regards to um, the comic book project, the novella associated with the comic book project is pretty easily accessible. Um, so if folks are looking for things other than threads, um, I don't know whether it even makes any relevant sense in our general discussion, but, you know, it's out there. The original manuals of Noble Ape are out there. There's plenty of online stuff. Heron has 700-plus audio recordings online. 800. Heron? More than 800? 800 now. Okay, more than 800 now. 
So, yeah, folks, you will be saturated with Stone Ape-related information if you go to look for it. And Joe the Drummer, I'm upping the ante. Fill the Reddit group with regards to all the stuff that you find. And, um, yeah, I will find topics within that to talk about. It's been a pleasure as always, Heron. Have a good evening. Good night. Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. 
Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. 